Welcome back, everybody, to the Nosebleed Sports Podcast. I am Chris Witt, and with me, as always, is Mr. Adam Schmidt. Adam, how are you today, sir? Absolutely wonderful. How are you? Uh, if I was any better, my friend, I would be you. Mm. That is no doubt. <clears throat> Chris, we're going to do things a little different, almost opposite today. I feel right? like today's opposite day. I definitely feel like you want today to be opposite day. You called me up a little earlier and you said, you know what? We do the comedy segment at the end of every show. I don't think I want to do that today because we have the la- the last uh, two episodes of The Last Dance. Adam wants to just blow that thing out of the water today and just go all in. So uh, let's go ahead and get started first off. Before we get started into the comedy segment, which is uh, Mr. Chad Daniels or Dad Chaniels as the comedy special is called. Uh, Adam, I think you got something on some people. Uh, Miss Miss Peggy Edwards. I do. Uh, just off the top of my head, it'll be real quick. The uh, <laughs> training personally with Peggy Edwards. Uh, if you're if you're looking for a place, if you're looking for a place to go, uh, once everything look everything's starting to open back up now, right? So as soon as gym are open back up, and as soon as everything is ready to go at training personally in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, that's the place you want to go check it out. Everybody, a lot of people have been sitting around. You're stuck in your house, you're eating, you're drinking, you're doing all kinds of stuff, and you, you haven't been going to the gym. So some people are working out at home, some people are not. A lot of us are uh, just kind of picking up some weight uh, while we're waiting it out. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I feel once that. Everything, once, once everything opens back up, before everything opens back up, jump on Facebook and go to Training Personally with Peg Edwards on Facebook. There's a ton of information. There are videos of workouts you can be doing at home while you're waiting for the gym to open back up. And then for all the information about the gym you need, uh, information about Peggy, uh, owner-operator, personal trainer, certified personal trainer, uh, go to trainingpersonally.com. That's simple. Go check out trainingpersonally.com. Get all the information you need. Her contact information is on there. Um, and if you tell and, her that uh, you uh, that you that you heard this from the Nosebleed Sports podcast, she will give you your first month for free. Your first day is always free, but your first month just by walking in and say, "Hey, heard about you on the Nosebleed Sports podcast." Boom, got a month on her, on us. You know baby. what? It's a month on us. Yeah, it's a month on all of us. So, uh, so Adam, as we get into what I'm pretty sure is week 10 of social distance podcasting. Uh, let's go ahead, brother, and get started a little opposite on week 10 and do some do some Chad Daniels. Uh, uh, do you want to get you want to start it off? You want me to? Sure, yeah, look, Chad Daniels is a guy that I uh, part of working from home is I can I'm a little bit more free to kind of listen to some to some podcasts and some different things while I'm working from home. And uh, so I've listened to a lot more comedy um, while I've been working. And a guy that kind of started sticking out to me, I started hearing a lot of his jokes, uh, is Chad Daniels and a guy that I was not aware of before. And I, I heard a lot of his stuff and I, I started really liking this guy. So I looked it up and he's got like six or seven specials. And I don't know how... 
I never, I never knew about this guy before. Maybe I'd seen him a long time ago and forgot about him or something. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, his latest one from 2019 was uh, is called Dead Chaniels, uh, appropriately named because uh, it plays into his name very well and because a lot of his jokes are about his family, about his kids. Yeah, right. It's, I mean, it's yeah, uh, the whole the almost whole exclusively, uh, yeah, really. almost <laughs> exclusively. His kids, uh, his kids take it hard, and it's it's pretty good. I. I I'll start off, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put this out there. I've never heard of this guy before. You brought him up the other day. He might be yeah. one of my new favorite comics. This guy was really good. And once again, it could just be that I was never heard of him before, and you know, when you hear somebody new, it can be pretty good. So I'm gonna, I'm jumping straight out to a four, man. That was, it was really good. I laughed a lot, and I am a dad, so some of this stuff was really funny. Although his kids are 14 and 18. So, uh, 14-year-old girl or 18-year-old boy, uh, and there's some really funny stuff in the beginning. I mean, it starts right at the very beginning when his son's uh, shaving his pubes, and it's the, uh, the back, only the, the, the back half of the toilet seat, and uh, he talks about a lot of other things. Uh, one thing he says about his 18-year-old son is that uh, the poor kid, the, the kid decided when he turned 18 he was going to move in with him, with his dad, you know, not because... He wanted to move in with his dad, but basically because his dad was on the road a lot, right? Chad Daniels is on the road right. doing comedy, so he'd get the house to himself. And every day, this kid, he was scared of the dark, which is me. I'm scared of the dark. If I had my yeah. house by myself, all the lights would be on all the time. I'm scared I of the dark. I feel that. Yeah, 100%. I was like that for a long time. I mean, I've been living by myself for a long time now, but I tell you what, I do not go to bed Com- with it completely pitch dark i i have no a, chance I, that I was like no way i couldn't do I that have a, i have a light in the other room and my door is cracked just a tiny bit it's almost it's almost completely pitch back but there's a there is a little tiny bit of light if i go to my door of my bedroom it's there there you go so you I know get, you know I, I, I see so, sometimes though i like waking up in the middle of the night and staring really hard because sometimes i want to see a ghost <laughs> like I, I will stare so hard I'll just be like where is it at is that something what is that no is that the TV that's the TV that's is that a sweatshirt hanging on a hook um no that, that could a, be a, yeah. I don't know what it could be is that a rectangle ghost no nope, you don't I don't know it could be their body you don't know what ghosts look like have you ever seen one you ever seen a ghost I've never seen a rectangle one I'll tell you that have you ever seen a ghost in particular I have never seen a ghost. You know why? Why? Because there's no such thing. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there's some people that disagree with that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to be up all night now tonight because I said that. Oh, 100%. I'm with you. 100%. Don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> However, I'm always looking for them. Like if I'm walking down a dark hallway and I'm by myself, I will just turn around and go, where you at? Come on. I know you're back there. Just come out. Yeah. And just let me see. Dag on it. Get get this oh, creepy man. feeling out of me and just let me see you. Still haven't another, seen one. Another moment in this podcast where we where I have found out that you and I have another connection, another similarity <laughs> I was not aware of before. Imagine and I'm that. so happy to hear so happy to hear this because I've been I was like over three, over four, something like that for people that I was suggesting being funny. So I'm so glad you like this. You Wait a minute. gave it a four for very high score. Yes, very much so. So people didn't like this. You got some people that didn't like it. No, no, I'm just saying like some other ones that oh, I've there were. Yes. Yes. That you weren't crazy yes, about. Yes, I got you. I got you. 
Uh, but anyway, you gave it a four. That's really, really good. Um, I gave it I, – I liked it a lot. I watched it twice. Um, and I also heard a lot of the same jokes on the, uh, uh, you know, the – Comedy stations uh, out there. Yeah, is what I've been, yeah, kind of listening to a lot. Um, so anyway, I, I heard – I heard these same jokes a few times, but um, they're still fresh to me because I hadn't I didn't know about them before. So like you, like you were talking about, so really really good. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to more of his stuff. Some of his older stuff I'm gonna try to check out. And um, for this one, for for Chad Daniels special dad channels, I'm giving it a three point seven. I like that three point seven. Now we're we're in the same boat on this one. I think we both agree, which is fun. Yeah. It's fun. Oh, man, there's some really good stuff with his 14-year-old daughter and her first period. There's some good, there's some good <laughs> stuff that I truly believe he did with the audience about about a, a, a list of things this guy needed, and, and, and they get upset with him because he's because the guy forgot the cake. And he's like, for real? We've been doing We've been sitting here for like 45 minutes, and that's what you guys are upset about. And he <laughs> goes on for about five minutes with the crowd, and I feel like that was his thing in the moment. And I like seeing, I like when they mix some in the moment stuff and it's not just joke after joke, after joke, after joke planned out. You know, I, that's the thing I think I like about him a lot. Uh, he's kind of a, like a diverse comic. He'll, he does a little, he he gets dirty and then he does some, some stuff that's not dirty and he can, he can do both pretty well. And he does, you know, he's, he's, He's kind of subtle, but he's not super, you know, he's not like boring. You about know, it. when he's joking. Yeah. He's, you can tell he's been doing it for a long, he's been doing comedy for a long time and he's, he's got it down. I mean, he's yeah. got it through a science. I can't believe we've never heard of this guy before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people we don't know about, but still like, yeah, I, I'm just surprised that he's had that many specials and we didn't. Yeah. Ch- so so check him out, Chad Daniels. That's the uh the very this is the very first Nosebleed Sports podcast where we started off with the comedy segment first. And now, buddy, I think there's only one thing to do. Well, there there are two there are two things to do. I oh, think. there's two things to do. Okay. Let's go. And, What's and next? The, the the next thing is I, I, you told me earlier oh, um, oh. just a little tidbit about what's going on. So, right, so instead of getting into a big long thing about you know things are they're starting to open stuff up, restaurants and different things like that, barber shops, which obviously neither one of us have been to yet. Nope. Um, I tried today. But, uh, did you try? Yeah, we'll, I'll go over that too. Gotcha. So, so, so I, anyway, yeah, you 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 got out. You got a chance to get out for the first time in what ten weeks? Is that it's right? It's been nine and a half. Uh, about nine and a half, almost ten weeks. If I would have, if I would have gone this entire week without making a, a sales call, it would have been uh, ten full weeks without uh, basically, for, basically of working from home. Which a lot of people are in that position right now. Uh, it was weird to 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 look it up. I actually looked at it today in my calendar, and it, it's been nine and a half weeks. That's insane to me. Um, wow. However, things have been have not been bad. So, uh, uh, that's not the point. So, so I, I didn't have a ton of places to go. There's still a lot of lumber yards that, uh, you know, the lumber yards and the building industry were considered essential, um, essential businesses. So they were still open. However, most of them had their doors closed or, or at least, um, uh, we're doing like cur- like you had to call in to, to, to come in or, you know, they block it off. They did all different kind of things. So, uh, uh, a few, a few of them I still can't go to. There's some of them opening up later, but 
I, I had a few people need me to come in to go over some things. I finally got about four of them put together, same area, and I said, all right, I'm making my day. Went out, couldn't have had four different groups of people that took this any differently from each other. I mean, and all four of them were like the the very first one I went to super laid back. I was there for way too long. They had their counter blocked off, but that's about all there was to it. Not much else outside of that. Uh, you would think that uh, it, it was just another day in the world when you went in there, which, you know, I got, you know, I got my mask. I got my disinfectant in the car, got my hand sanitizer ready to go. Uh, totally. So, so it was, it was different. Those guys, not a, not a, not a fear or care in the world. And then the next place I go to, I had to have my meeting outside. I had to stand outside to have my meeting, uh, which is also weird. Uh, the third place I go to, I was allowed in, but I was escorted into a room where me and the uh, two other people sat on opposite sides of a giant table, had a little conversation, in and out, pretty quick. And then uh, the last place I went to was kind of like the first one. <laughs> they could just, it was just, hey, oh, hey, where you been? Well, what do you mean, where have I been? <laughs> <laughs> trying not to die from yeah. some virus so anyway uh four four places three pretty different uh ways of going about this and i feel like they represent our society there are people that are uh hell-bent against don't eat we still have our doors locked there are people that are like okay we're gonna slowly start letting people do some things and then there are people that are just like whatever let's get her let's go get it done so the stops I made today were very representative of what our reality in this post COVID is, which is so weird for a guy like me who like loves germs. I, I, I entice germs to come to me. I want bacteria and germs. I want my immune system to just be as strong as possible. Uh, I find myself walking out of every single time I go walking around. If there's anywhere where there's hand sanitizer, I just grab some, I don't put it on, start going. That is the opposite of me. By fault, but like a by like a million, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you're at least using some hand sanitizer. Um, and I, I, I spray my steering right. wheel down with uh, with disinfectant every time I come in. My handles and everything. That's what that's what the old boss wants us to do. So if we got to make them, we're gonna make them. I'm all. Uh, I don't know how how much of this we'll be doing here for a while, but it's definitely different. It is different, my man. Yeah. It sure is, and there's I I have I have pretty strong opinions about what I've been seeing for the last week week yeah. and a half uh, yeah since things have been kind of starting to change a little bit but uh I don't want to I don't want to get into my opinions about that nah, we don't need to do that of, that's no big deal yeah, we don't need to get into that <laughs> uh, just just know they're I, not I uh, they're 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 not so much the opinions of the the first and last place I went to <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I, I there are all kinds of all kinds of things I can get into about that. I don't want people to think that I'm uh, a jerk, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I really just want to talk about the last dance. That's really so. Yeah. Then let's uh, do it, dude. Let's, let's get into the last yeah. dance, uh, and we'll start off. We'll we'll start off obviously with with episode nine, which um, pretty much kicks off where uh, episode uh, eight stopped which was the, uh, the getting into uh, the Pacers. And, and Michael 
they kind of foreshadowed it because they showed a little preview of what this episode was. And they showed after episode eight, the preview for nine showed Michael saying that the Pacers were the biggest. He said outside of the Pistons, the Pacers were the biggest um, uh, uh, battle for them. They were the toughest, the toughest team that they placed they faced. Uh, so that alone was kind of a surprising to me because you, I remember obviously the Knicks were, were so big back then. The, the, the fight between, you know, the, 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 just the, the battle that would go down between them. Um, and I remember the battles that would go down between the Pacers and the Knicks. So I guess it would just yeah. make sense that, that, that Pacers team would, would fall into play at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, the Knicks and Pacers were both big physical teams, and I they the Bulls played the Knicks in the playoffs, you know, big tough series a bunch of times too. Um, and and I I would bet that Michael would put the Knicks right there with the Pacers, honestly. Um, but yeah, he did say that, and they they showed kind of the relationship between Reggie because Reggie talked a lot <clears throat> through this. Uh, he did. They, they showed a little thing about how their relationship started, which Reggie's um, rookie year in the league. They were playing. He was playing hard. He was playing great in the first half against the Bulls. And he said something to Michael, like, because Michael was not playing great in the first half of that same game. And he said something to Michael, like, "You're you're the Michael Jordan that walks on water, or something like that." And Mike, he said, Michael just looked at him, like, "Okay, all right, here we trouble. go." So the second half, he said, "Reggie said I had two points, and Michael had a lot more than that." <laughs> That was his rookie He's, year. And then he told – Michael told him at the end of the game – no, that's not even the best part of the story. Oh, right, at the right, end right, of the right. game, he, Michael walks up to him and he goes, for now on, you just call me Black Jesus. Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, you don't talk trash to Black Jesus. So, don't yeah, talk so Black, trash said, to Black it. Jesus. So because uh, he told he him he walked on water. So Reggie – and Reggie Miller said to this day he calls him – he calls him Jordan. He doesn't call him – he doesn't call him Mike. Mike Jordan or Michael Joy calls him Jordan. He calls him Black Jesus, or what was the other one? You remember? Black cat. Black cat. That, that black cat. cat. Yeah, that black cat. <laughs> so uh, yes, there was that one. Thank you for for adding that because that was important at the end of that game. And then they showed a clip in '93 where Reggie was a few years into the league, then five six years into the league, and feeling himself even more. And because Reggie was always feeling himself. Reggie. You know that. Reggie. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll just say Reggie was always feeling himself. All right. He was. And so there was a game where he went down and, and I guess scored in transition and Michael had like kind of like jumped past him or whatever. Um and he they, they he ended up out of bounds and Reggie kinda like ended up coming going into Michael and just shoved him. And and Michael like was like, Okay, forget this basketball game. He just went after him, <laughs> grabbed him by the face. I think Reggie threw a punch. Maybe Michael did too. And those guys went at it big time. And they showed Michael. That was like the first thing they handed the the tablet to Michael so he could watch that. And he just kind of was like smiled about it. Well, that's that. That that was Michael Jordan. You could be a friend with of Michael Jordan, but when you were on the court, buddy, it didn't matter if there was something that went down. He was going to let you know what it was. Yeah, and and apparently he and Reggie aren't very very good friends now to this day like there was a pretty contentious relationship during those series and reggie even Re- even reggie still who's a little bit more like magic i feel like you oh, know yeah. he'll yeah he'll, uh smile he'll be, all the know, time right be friends with you and everything and i they it's uh jason Hare, the director of 
of this documentary said it took him like six or seven times. They kept bugging Reggie Miller and he kept saying no or he kept ignoring them for a long time because he didn't want to do it. He did yeah. not want to come on the documentary because he's not a big Jordan fan, I don't think. Well, uh, he it respects you, him like crazy. That's what I was going to say. You can tell by the interview whether they're friends or not. You could tell by the interview uh, the amount of respect he has for Michael Jordan is nowhere near anyone else. I mean, he's like, there's absolutely, you couldn't tell me there's another better player that's ever played the game. There's no, yeah. there's never been another player better than Michael Jordan. I mean, he, he says it flat out. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I don't know. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So they get into the 98 Eastern Conference Finals against Indiana. Uh, and game I feel one. like every, don't you feel like every star that Michael plays, Every time he plays a star in the playoffs somewhere, they all get that one moment. It's like he allows them to have one moment against them before he beats them. They all get one moment. So they can glow, yes. and then he can get his and motivation. And then he can get his motivation. I, I, I'm serious. I feel like in every series we see this trend of, you know, Peyton, Gary Peyton, uh, you know, he got his he got his two games and he you know claims that he's the reason that they won those two games because he switched over, defended Mike and Michael says he never had a problem with the glove and yeah, but he got his little claim to fame and then you got Muggsy Bogues who had his you know, had his game where he went off and it, it, I feel like the list could go on and on. Yeah. But Reggie, what did I say? Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> <laughs> he played hey, for the Hornets. He's Both really short. Yeah. I totally get it. It just, totally it just happened. Anyway, anyway, they're both little kids. Oh, by the way, real quick, before we get into this, I'm in my basement where I'm doing some uh, <clears throat> renovation right now. I took a big inhale of dust. Uh, so, Andrew That's Hawkins. Yeah, Andrew, that is what it is. I, I need something. I'm not getting germs anywhere else. Uh, Andrew Hawkins has been doing these. Have you seen these things he's been doing after him? So he did one after this, and he goes around. And he's like each player of the Bulls from the early '90s and the late '90s, and and he just dresses up. He dressed up like all the Bulls except for one. It was B.J. Armstrong. He had his son play B.J. Armstrong. <laughs> I was crazy. I have not up. seen the one that he did for this. I liked it on Twitter and and was cra- and I even com- I even commented on it. That's that's how much I liked it. I commented on a tweet. That doesn't happen. Wow, very nice. Awesome. That's big. Yeah, yeah, it's big for you. So okay, so then so speaking of Michael's motivation, we all we know by now after eight episodes that he has to find some way that he's been slighted by somebody, kind of like what we were talking about. He's he's got to find some reason to have an edge, you know, as when he goes into games, when he goes into series. And so he he really the first one he talked about with this, well, for it was the two uh instances with Reggie, you know, earlier in the in their careers. Mm-hmm. And then he said he talked about how tough that team was and Bill Wennington said they're so big and so physical um with the with the two Davises and Rick Smiths and um they just had a bunch of good like like really tough-minded uh, like Indiana teams always seem to be, even when the mm-hmm. roster turns over, their teams always seem to be that they always play really hard, really good defense and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, that was definitely a team like that. That's why it's a big reason they were so successful. Um, so, but he said, Michael said every time he came out of the game, he had a new cut, a new scratch. Yep. Uh, and he said that he said it became personal for me. And that's where he, that's yep. where he was drawing that motivation from yep. because they were really physical too. 
He could find uh, anything. So anyway, That's the, the motivation he found is starting to get a little annoying to me. I'm not going to lie to you. It's starting to get annoying. Well, it's like, oh, oh, Michael's running down. He was running down the court, and somebody stepped on his foot accidentally. And from that moment on, Michael yeah. was ready to play. Like, come yeah. on, man. He's the best <laughs> basketball player to ever step foot on, the, on a court. My man was ready to play when he walked out. Somebody tripping over his big toe did not turn this into what it is. Yeah, most of the time they do. They do seem like a pretty big reach for Michael. Yeah, but he was. He had to. He just needed a, a little extra thing, or he wanted a little extra thing. He didn't need it necessarily, I guess. But um, anyway, so so really, game one. I mean, I, we don't have to harp on every single game, but game one, the Bulls won uh, in Chicago. Game two, Michael gets his fifth MVP, uh, regular season MVP before that game. Bulls end up winning that one, 104-98. So their Bulls go up 2-0 right away. Yep. Uh, game three, they go to Indy. Um, and the Pacers pull off a, a, a two-point win. Michael says it was a bump in the road. They're not worried. No big deal. Um, Phil said Phil said they had to play a great game, and they only beat us by two. We still feel pretty good. Right. Game four. So fast forward to game four. So now it's 2-1. Series is 2-1. And they're still in Indy, uh, and Reggie says, "Look, we still now we get a chance to tie this thing up. Now we're getting now we're ready to really go." Mm-hmm. Um, so, end of the game. Bulls are up one, six seconds left. Scottie Pippen misses two free throws, so the Bulls are all, still only up one. Yep. Uh, Indy's ball with I think the ball gets tipped around, goes out of bounds. In, Indianapolis has the ball with 2.9 seconds left, right? Uh, so they get to advance it, I think. I think they just advance it down to their end. Yep. The famous inbounds play. Reggie comes off the staggered screen. They switch. Michael's standing there ready for him. And Reggie's like, Reggie said in the time I'm out, they're going through the play, and he's like, I'm going to make the referees make a call here. I'm exactly. going to yep. make them make a call. Because he knows, like everybody knows, Playoffs Officials, are different. Right, and, and at the end of games, period, and especially in playoff games, right, they're going to swallow their whistle more often than than they normally would. So um, so he did. And he, Reggie admitted after years of say, kind of trying to dance around it, he's like, he's still kind of like, eh, I might have given him a little he shove. He said, you know? I might have given him a little shove and had the biggest smirk on his face <laughs> and laughed that you possibly could. Obviously, and when you watch it, he ran up and shoved Michael Jordan. I mean, there's, I mean, it is what it is. But it didn't get called. Yeah, so who shoved. cares? <laughs> I don't know why right. this became such so a big he, deal. Things like this happen at the end of games and playoffs all the time. The difference is Reggie came off. Yeah, maybe not Reggie. But it was the two. It was two of the probably four biggest stars in the game at the time. Yeah. So they they um, probably are just letting those guys go at it. Now you're saying if I'm a referee and I see Michael and Reggie at it, I'm not calling anything. Well, I mean, I I think it's wrong to not call it. It was a clear two hands. We shot, all know what you which think. Got him. Which, which got him wide open. Wide open. And he still had to hit the, the shot. For the, for the shot, and he did. And, and it's Reggie Miller, though. You give him a wide open shot, especially late in the game. I mean, he made a career out of. Out of shooting threes, period, and then also late game shots, big yeah. time late game shots. So he did that. That was one of the biggest shots of his career, um, and he made it. 
and uh, make, makes the three. And so the the Bulls still get get I another shot. 0.6 seconds left, and the Bulls call a timeout, and they've got the ball at half court. <laughs> yeah, and everybody so, is just and Reggie's like Reggie's like I just I just knew he was gonna make it. I mean, you just know yeah. where the ball's going. Everybody knows what's gonna happen. And Michael got off a, a kind of a tough shot because uh, I forget who it was defending him. Kind of went behind him for kind of like a block from behind. Yeah. But so he kind of like double pumped a little bit, but he still got a decent look off. And that thing hit the rim twice, I think, and hit the backboard. That thing was out. that was that went all but in. It did everything yeah. but go in the basket. And what's funny to me, uh, something that stuck out was Reggie said was describing it. He said, "I remember being under the basket." And seeing the ball come down and thinking, this ball's going in. And as he's saying that on this documentary, they're showing the clip. I love and it. Reggie is nowhere near the basket. He's nowhere near the basket. <laughs> and the ball first hits off the backboard. So there's no yeah. way when a guy is taking a shot from the corner and it hits the backboard that you're looking at it going, hmm, that's going in. <laughs> you're looking at it going, that's nowhere near the rim. <laughs> Yeah, I love was, I love how I love when the the way people reminisce about things and they've watched something so many times that they just they see something different than what they actually did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Roger Clemens would say, I think Reggie misremembered he that. Misremembered that. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, so they cut it from there. So tied two two. All right, and then they cut it and go to. The uh, the '97 finals the year before, right? Because they had been building up in all the other episodes, kind of switching back and forth the '97 '98 season to whatever the next season was, whatever the next big playoff thing was. So '97 finals against the Jazz. Uh, Michael's big motivation, right, to start out. Michael needed this motivation. What was it? Carl Malone won the MVP. Carl Malone they splashed past Michael, and he he thought for a quick second, he's like, oh yeah. Carmelo won, won the MVP. That's the reason I was I was going to beat him. So right? so uh, the the uh, this wasn't the, Charles Barkley did an interview, uh, and he said it best. They he was talking about describing the MVP award and the greatest play and the best player award, and he said Charles Barkley said the year I won the MVP and we went to the finals, he said Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA, but I had the best year. So, you know, there are times where and, and with, like with like with LeBron James, LeBron James has been the best player in the NBA for a very very long time. But there's been guys who have had some phenomenal years. So, that's why they won the they won the MVP. So, I like I love the way he described that. It was beautiful and perfect because I have been I've always been like, man, it's the it's the whole Michael Jordan thing. That's why LeBron doesn't get him. He's the best player. Everybody's tired of it. So they just give it to somebody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so then game 1 97 finals, it, it was it was I I at first had an issue with bouncing back and forth between years and stuff and some different stories, you know, in you know, even the way they like tried a, to like intertwine them. Sub bounce around and stuff. Yeah, um, but by the end, I mean, by the last, you know, few weeks, I was getting used to it, and I, I was put piecing it together a little bit better and stuff right. like that. Um, but this one was kind of weird that they stopped after game four of the Indiana series in 98 to go and show the full series, the 97 yeah, finals. Exactly. I kept, so, I kept thinking I about know. that while we were watching that. I kept thinking, I missed – 
I missed how they won the Pacers here. I missed how they won against yeah. the Pacers. Like I, I completely missed. Where, when did that happen in this? Well, it didn't. They had to go back to it again. Right. So they went. So they went and showed the, all the highlights of the '97 Finals game one. Um, what, that, so, so Carl Malone winning the MVP was the one motivation, and then they talked about uh, Brian Russell putting Brian Russell on on uh-huh. Michael to guard him, which was which he was guarding in most of the series. I'll, almost the entire series. And Michael tells the story about when he was playing baseball, he went into wherever they were, um, went in to talk to, to say hi to Carl Malone and John Stockton because they were in the same town or whatever. Yeah. Say hi to those guys. And Brian Russell was a rookie that year and said, man, I, I, uh, I know why you retired. You know, I could guard you. I can't believe you retired. You know, he was this, this rookie was trash talking Michael Jordan. Who was not playing basketball anymore at the time. So Michael was like, told Carl, you better get your boy. He said, you better get your boy. He goes, come on, man. He's just a rook. <laughs> he don't know no better. Yeah. But but Michael's but Michael said from then on, that was it. He was on he was on his list. He was, and he's that's what list. he said too. He said he's on he then he was on my list. So it just goes to show you that Michael was always ready to try to get himself up. So he just kept a list of people like, mm, Michael, who are we playing today? A, let me go back on. Let me go. Was, let me pull the little black book out. Uh, who plays? He was for the them? ultimate grudge holder. Boy, there's, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about that. That's that's <laughs> that is so true. Even to this day, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, they, he finally so, just started talking to Charles Barkley like six, seven years ago. Well, it hadn't been that long. Yeah, I I, I heard they still aren't great. I thought they were talking. I thought they finally started talking to each other again. Maybe, um, but so game one in '97, Michael gets that shot at the end where he kind of and he he even said before that was talking about uh, how how Brian Russell you notice plays like way on his toes, kind of like almost leans forward. It sounds like so you give him a good fake and he's gonna he's gonna bite and he's not gonna be able to recover. So did you notice? Did you notice Michael hit that exact his exact the shot right the last shot. He hit that exact same shot against Brian Russell to win game to go ahead in game one, I think, in the ninety seven. Yeah. In the ninety seven yeah. finals. Sorry, you're probably that's just getting I, to that. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, that shot and he was he was kinda of going left. He was kinda of going middle to left this time, but he made that little that little juke move, that really little subtle thing yeah. where he kinda of hesitated for a very quick second and then that was just enough to get you know, a step of space. And that tells me, that tells me though, that throughout that game, he had to be going to the basket like crazy, right? There's no sure, way yeah. Brian Russell at and, and this is not talking about the last shot, but just this in particular, he, cause Russell fell for it both times. But, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, Michael makes the game winner in game one. Bulls go up one Oh game two bulls win game two, uh, jazz. So they go to, to Utah or sorry, they started in Utah, I believe. I think Utah had had home court. Um, no, that's is that right? Yeah, Utah had the better. No, in ninety no ninety seven was the was the year they won Chicago. all those games, right? Ninety six, I think, was the year they won seventy two. Um, all right, ninety five, ninety six. I think that first year that might yeah the first year came, Michael, the first full year back. Full year back, yeah, yeah. But any, and then I think they won six. 59 games or something like that this year anyway so it was they were right there but anyway um so the bulls go up 2-0 jazz take game three um these are all by by the way well 
Yeah, they um, won their first so two he, in Chicago and then went to and then went to uh went, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and then they went to, went to Utah. Utah. Yeah. Um yes. They that's, that's they would have right, been there for the three, four, and three, five. The next three right, and then five we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Is is where a bunch of stuff happens. So Jazz take games three and four. Uh so they tie it to game five, famously called the flu game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we find out why exactly. We've always kind of heard, but not with the detail. I never heard the exact details of all this stuff, or I don't remember them. I've um, always just heard it called the flu game. So I never knew that he had food poisoning. Apparently a bunch of people had heard that it was food poisoning. Yeah, I, I had heard the rumor a long time ago that it was really just food poisoning, but there was never a definite – I never heard anybody say definitely one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It, but my only thing was – who has the flu for like like one day? That was my thing. He really he was sick for like one day. Yeah, so I mean that know? just goes. You get the flu. You're down for you like three, four, five one. days. Yeah, three to six, seven Absolutely. days. So yeah. anyway, so anyway, so we found out. Yeah, we found out that it was food poisoning because <laughs> they're the the day before game five. They're in the hotel in Utah. He's got his entourage, uh, his security guys, and everything with him. And he's they eat they eat dinner without him a little earlier, right? Yes, they, they didn't wait for him. Well, it, this so, wasn't described in the pot in the in this nothing none of this came through in the documentary. Michael says I was hungry. It was late, yeah. like eleven o'clock, and I was hungry, and I was in there with his buddy, with his buddy, and then his trainer. And they, he was like, "Listen, I'm hungry. Let's go find some food." And they they found some food. Come to find out. The true story is not only was Michael hungry, but he was hungry because they all ate because he couldn't decide what he wanted to eat earlier. Right. So finally, yeah, a lot of these details we find yeah. out after, so after, after, the after the documentary. And it's, it's with Jalen and Jacoby with the director, and they're telling the story. And they say, they all said, everybody in the story said it. Michael Jordan decide they, they find a place, he, he'd get a pizza. Five people yeah. bring it, which is weird to begin with. Only, only. Place open by the way in Utah at ten thirty at night because Utah closes early. And they were on the outskirts. Still, that's ridiculous. Um, anyway, um, so 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 those five guys show up to deliver a pizza, uh, give it to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan then opens the pizza and spits on it and says, "There's nobody eating this pizza but me," because he was mad that they already ate without him. This Michael Jordan. When I heard this part of it, which was on this Jalen Jacoby interview, I immediately just thought, is Michael Jordan six years old at this point in time? Like, how old are what? Are you kidding me? But apparently, apparently, that's not the first time he had ever done that. (laughs) So, so petty. Oh, my gosh. It's so hilarious. He's mad at his buddies. he was, he, yeah, he was that hungry, and he was disappointed in them that they that they ate without him. Whatever he, I'm sure he was out doing, probably doing some media stuff or something like that. Sure, and for whatever you know, they might not have known when he was going to be back or something. So, uh, so they did. So they ate, and they didn't include him or whatever. <laughs> so he did. He spit on his pizza. Five. He what? gave himself food poisoning. Just realized yeah, that he just yeah. gave himself food poison. Yeah, Don't yeah. spit on your pizza, yes. man. It's nasty as hell. He spit some COVID germs right on his own pizza. <laughs> yeah. 
So oh, he, goodness. so he, so three o'clock in the morning, he's throwing up, and he calls Tim Grover. He calls the trainer, and okay, okay. Over to Here's the other thing. So then he calls the guy who was in the room with him that he made find a pizza for him. He calls that guy three o'clock in the morning. You know what phone I'm uh, not answering at three o'clock in the morning? Any phone at all. I'm not answering any phone at <laughs> well, all. If you, three if you work in the for morning. Michael Jordan and he's playing in the finals, you're answering that. If phone. that's my boy, gonna, right? If I've been with this dude, out, I've been with this dude for twelve years. In a, in a cup, in a cup fashion, and catch his vomit in your hands if you have to. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're doing for Michael. No way, man. No way. So, I've been with you for 12 years, and you just spit on a pizza, acted like a child. Oh, my gosh. First <laughs> off, I immediately would have started making fun of you for doing something stupid like that. Second off, if you call me at 3 o'clock in the morning after you spit on a pizza and nobody else ate it, come yeah, they keep talking about, yeah, Michael was the only one that really ate out of that pizza on the documentary. Yeah, come to find out he spit on it. So guess what? Sit there and puke on your own, ding dong. We should all be barfing together, but you're being a petty little weirdo <laughs> and ate every bite of a full pizza. First thing I would say is, you have a game tomorrow, and you just ate an entire large pizza at ten thirty at night. That's your problem, dude. You're sick because you ate too much. <laughs> um, he burns so many calories. I'll bet he could do that anytime he wanted. Oh, I guarantee really it. I guarantee I- it. I just thought I so wish you were one of those guys in his on his team on his security. I never team. made it because if if he if he spit on that pizza, I'd hate like, that son of a. I'd have been like, cool, I, no, no problem for me. I love germs. Little, some of that pizza, little spit. extra salt on that loogie. Let me get that big old yeah. loogie, that little big, big loogie piece. You ain't that wouldn't bother looking, me one bit. You're, look, you're looking for extra salt anyway on all your Hell stuff. Yes, man. I am. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I appreciate the help, Mike. Thanks, buddy. That's what you got to do. Listen, when people, because you know why? Because everybody backs down to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan spits on a pizza and says, nobody else is eating this. Watch. Come get me some. He'd respect you. I bet he would respect me more than he respect everybody else. That's right. You'd be the you'd be the next Steve Kerr. I'd be the, you, I'd be you, the next Steve that, Kerr. Eating that, eating that slice of pizza with his spit on it is like punching him in the just chest. Like, just like giving him a shove in the chest. Oh, jeez, old Pete. So anyway, so Michael, and and the crazy thing is, is you can definitely see just in his face uh, when he, so he comes in, he sleeps all the next day or lays in bed all the next day. He he shows up like two hours before the game, um, which is great, which is way late for those guys. But he shows up and he's like, look, I'm just going to try it. He's like, I might even have to be a decoy. He said, I'll be a decoy. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, but he was, uh, you know, Michael's not going to be a decoy. You know, he's not going no, he put, to. So, they said he's going to be a decoy, and immediately showed him missing like five shots in the first quarter. What decoy? Yeah. Just start shooting. You're a decoy. <laughs> Stop shooting. If I was on the field court with him, I'd be like, dude, you're sick as hell. Give the ball up. <laughs> right. So he ends up. So, I mean, you can see all the. Oh, you go back and watch the highlights. You can see it. It, his face just looks different. It looks like he was sleeping all day. His like eyes are kind of puffy. Yeah. It just I mean he just he looks sick. He looks really sick. He's literally hanging um, on Scottie Pippen walking out of the timeout or walking into yeah. the timeout. Yeah. Um come yeah, coming in into timeouts, just hanging his head on the bench, towels over him and all kinds of stuff. Uh but he musters up every little bit of energy he needs as much as he needs it. 
plays 44 minutes with food poisoning, scores 38 points, gives the, gives the Jazz 38, and then uh, and the Bulls win that game and go up 3-2 in what Larry Bird once called the most important game in any series, Game 5, right? Yeah. So, so uh, the Bulls go up 3-2. Michael was heroic that day. Um Man, and we, you just brought up Larry Bird, and I forgot one of my favorite parts of that whole Indiana series. Oh, we're going to get back to that. No, okay. Well, we're, back the end of it. we're coming back. We're coming back. That's right, because at this right. point in time, we haven't we haven't seen the end. All right, continue. Yeah. So so anyway, so then they go into um, talking about how, you know, Michael started talking about uh, throughout throughout those series, throughout the playoffs, you know, he his his um, his teammates kind of stepped up and and kind of started showing him and he started trusting those guys a little bit more or the guys that act, that earned his trust. And we already heard about Steve Kerr earning his trust in a practice, you know, before that. But um, to, to trust those guys on the floor, to get rid of the ball and, and you know, trust those guys to make plays was a big deal for Michael because yep. he felt like he had to do it all the time. He wanted to put everybody on his, uh, on his back and, and do it. So – but he was starting to talk about that, and they, they used that to transition into Steve Kerr's story. So Steve Kerr starts telling, uh, you know, telling the story about how— Did you how, know his dad died being, uh, being uh, the teacher at a, or being whatever he was at some college in Beirut or Persia? I don't even know where the hell the guy was. I can't yeah, remember. It was, it was in Beirut. He was the president of American University in Beirut, um, and, and yeah, because is there a, a, is that, there that was, is there a Beirut University in America? I don't know that, but I would I would guess not. I would probably put money on no. Okay, I'll just check. Uh, I don't so, even know if Beirut still exists. Yeah, it was America. Yeah, Middle Eastern countries that was at war with itself or whatever was going on. Um, so anyway, but that they did they talked about his dad and his family when he was younger and how he got into basketball. His dad was a basketball fan. He was a professor at UCLA for right. a long time. And that's how he really, he grew up going to UCLA basketball games in the 70s. It right, doesn't like get any better. Celtics games in the 60s. The, no, I mean the best era of probably any probably well, any team in sport. Negotiable, negotiable about best era. More closer to most dominant Team most dominant. That's what. I, yes. I don't know that that's necessarily. I mean, be, when you have a team that dominant, I don't know how great that makes the basketball. However, at the same oh, time, wow. at the same time, it by far was the most. Like, if you were a UCLA fan, you want to be dominant, right? So you couldn't have put any kid or anyone in that area into a better situation to love basketball forever. For a 15-year stretch in the 60s and 70s, UCLA basketball was Duke, Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, all rolled into one. Exactly. They were that dominant. Yes. I mean, they were that good. Yeah. And that's when, that is when Steve Kerr grew up at Pauley Pavilion going to UCLA basketball games in the John Wooden era. I mean, it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't get better than that. So... And his dad was a fan of basketball, and they weren't, but they were a very um, education-based household because he was a look. I saw there. I saw the pictures of his dad. His dad might have been a basketball <laughs> fan, but he wasn't a basketball player. I can tell you that right now. No, no. 
They played <laughs> basketball. Play. They played basketball in the yard, Mom said. Uh, I'm pretty sure Steve was beating him at the age of like seven. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But he did say they weren't allowed to to uh, watch TV during like Monday through Thursday, except when there was a big game on. Big game on. Dad hooked dad him up. That's right. Uh so anyway, so he was he 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 you know made a connection like a, like a lot of kids do with their dads with sports early on in life, and that's mm-hmm. how they get into sports. And everybody, you know, most people's allegiances start with how how their dads or how their parents' allegiances are, um, and, and you know their favorite sports are, uh, you know, their parents' favorite sports, their dad's favorite yep. sports. So that was definitely uh, how Steve Kerr started, and, and his dad did uh, was. Um, you know, took a took a pretty prestigious job at a university um, because he was a uh, his title was no his he was a professor of Middle East history uh, history and politics Middle East history and politics at UCLA. So he went he went there to be the president of a university because he had he had that knowledge he had the 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 base um, to go serve in a place like that. So. That's what he did, and it was a very dangerous time. Um, they were—I I, don't—I can't speak to what kind of um, government they had or what the politics were like there, but it was—they talked about that it was very dangerous because they did not like the uh, you know democracy that that the United States had here, and so it, it was dangerous for everybody, and especially for Americans. Yes, especially for Americans, what they said. So. Um, his dad, you know, bottom line is, is some, some people came in and acted like students and shot his dad in the head and killed him. I didn't Just, know like, that. Did you know that? Did you know? I, I, you know, I had heard, I had heard a long time ago that he lost his dad in some, in something like that, but I never heard the detail like that. And I forgot, honestly, I forgot that his, that his dad died. So this was, this felt all new to me. It, it, and then it like kind of, kind of sparked a, a vague memory for me. Like, like, I felt like I had heard it before. So um, then they said, they asked Steve Kerr, they said, did you ever talk to Michael about your dad's? Like, did you guys ever have a conversation that way? Because you feel like that would be, you know, I, you know, I don't know how, I don't think I would, I think I'm like those guys. I think if if my dad died and your dad died, I don't feel like that's a conversation we would sit down just be and, like, bond over. Yeah, I mean, if you well, that's the thing that Steve Kerr was talking about is like he wasn't Michael wasn't like emotionally engaged with everybody at, all the time, and he said because he couldn't really like he he was in such high demand all the time, right? And, and he had to live his life a different way than everybody else uh, because he was this you know larger than life character almost. Mm-hmm. Um, that he, you know, he didn't have a lot of time to sit down and have deep conversations with people and connect with people like that. So yeah, he didn't. And, and part of it also was the way that he treated his teammates during practices and stuff. Right? The guys didn't feel close to him as close to him as they could have because of that too. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right? Yeah. So, so that's what Steve. So Steve Kerr talked about that. You're right. And and uh, and so so that kind of set up you know the steve kerr story and then it got into that took us into game six of the 97 finals and what michael was kind of getting at when he started talking about how he uh some of the guys kind of started to step up and he felt more comfortable you know getting those guys involved 
And so it came down to game six. Uh, their Bulls are up. This is back in Chicago. Bulls are up um, 3-2 in that series. Game side at 86, 28 seconds left. Michael and Steve Kerr uh, talk about being ready for the double team that they that the Jazz had run before when Michael gets the ball in the high, in the high post on the wing or whatever. Uh, they run John Stockton at him, and they even mentioned that Stockton had a steal earlier in the series or maybe the year before mm-hmm. against Michael uh, with that same play. So they talked about, Michael said, hey, be ready, and, and Steve's like, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 you are, listen, I feel like you're doing a really good job of telling telling the episode of of this, but I feel like there's some really funny things that you're leaving out. All right, you're right. Like you just saying. you just flew right through that, and the funniest part of that is that Michael Jordan is sitting on the bench, and there's like five cameras on him, and he looks at a camera, and he looks down to take a drink out of his Gatorade, and whispers almost to Steve Kerr, and says, and says, "Be ready, be ready if they come over." And Steve goes, "What? What?" <laughs> And then he says, <laughs> yeah. he says it again with the Gatorade up to his face, trying to hide it from the cameras and everybody else, just kind of like, yo, Steve, be ready, brother. He says, that's right, man. Yeah, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Bring it on. And Steve Kerr makes fun of himself because he's, I'm sure he's seen that video so many times and seen how Michael was trying to be subtle. And Steve's just like, yeah, give me the ball. I'm ready. He, and he's so <laughs> overly exuberant. It's, oh my gosh, that was hilarious. Steve Kerr tells stories phenomenally, by the way. Steve Kerr is one of my favorite storytellers. Oh, he's, uh, he's, he is he, so well-spoken. Yes. So Steve, Steve Kerr telling this story is so great. So if you can watch this documentary for a story, that little tidbit, it's like a minute and a half, is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Steve Kerr basically is a little kid in front of his idol, who his idol just told him he was going to give him the ball for the last shot possibly. <laughs> I don't know if he was his idol, but no, he, no. he knew no, how what to No, I'm, I'm saying that was the way he the way he was so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give oh, me the ball, I got you. It was like, oh my gosh, maybe not his idol, but like it basically the greatest player in the world is on your team and he just said it's the last shot. There's a chance I'm gonna give this ball to you. <laughs> Be ready. Yeah, and here's the thing. Those two guys and I, it's not like that was some big like scientific play that they had come up with on the spot. It was uh but those two guys, those are two of the most intelligent basketball minds that you will ever see at the, playing together right there. Steve Kerr sure. and Michael Jordan are two enormously high basketball IQs. Um, so, so they did, and they knew it was coming, and they talked about it, and it, that exact thing happened. Michael caught it. I'm sure Brian Russell was on him. John Stockton came over to double, as they should. You have to double Michael Jordan. Yep. <laughs> Gives him a little me, jump biggest, pass to the corner. Or not corner, For but me, the, the elbow. Yeah, the middle. And that was, that's, that's what I was going to say. Is the, the biggest key to this play was Steve Kerr was on the weak side. He was like almost on the other wing. And and Stockton was kind of – I must have started kind of cheating off because he got over to that other wing um, where Michael was. And Steve Kerr, you can see him in the background as Stockton's coming over. Steve Kerr comes into this wide open space in the middle of the floor – to improve that passing angle for Michael to make it an easier pass and to, to get a better shot to like prepare himself for a better shot from a better part of the floor. Um, and that was that, that stuck out to me. I, I, I did, I never really looked that hard at that play. I rewound it like four times and, and watched it. And I, you know, 
Noticing that Steve this, Kerr came from this the coaches weak talk side. right here for everybody listening. This is coaches talk <laughs> right now. No, so. I, but but I just I just I just appreciated that he that he recognized the the wide open space in the middle of the floor that he would have a better shot from and that it would it would make an easier pass for Michael. And guys do that all the time. It's not like a huge deal, but it but he did that, and I I just I, I just went back and watched that a few times just so just to see his. His movement, his relocation, um, and I, I was like, man, that that's that makes that play. So anyway, he caught the ball, and Michael gives him a, a perfect pass in rhythm too, as he's coming to that spot out of the double team, right? Michael, kind it of was a tough through. pass. I mean, he kind of had to he kind of had to step through. Get, it was it was almost he almost had to turn his body a little bit. It was a tough pass, but it was right on point. Right on point, right in right in rhythm, and uh, Steve Kerr knocks it down, and that was it, and they win. Um, and so, uh, so then they, they go to the celebration right in Chicago and they, oh my God. Steve Kerr gets up. Oh and, my God. And, Steve and, Kerr and again, wanna, Steve wanna, Kerr, you're so good. He is so good. That's why he was in the media for a few years before he got back into, before he got into coaching. Um, but he, uh, he tells, he tells the story to everybody. He's like, you know, I want to clear things up. Everybody's been asking me about that last shot. Uh, we went to, into that timeout. Uh, Phil said, Michael, we'll have you take the last shot. And, and Michael said, Phil, you know, I'm not very comfortable in these situations. <laughs> I think we should probably, I think we should probably go to Steve. Um, <laughs> so he's like, he's like, so they went to me and, you know, uh, looks like I, and he said, I said to myself, looks like I have to bail Michael out again. I have to bail so Michael out again. And the best is they got it of camera on Mike and him and Scotty are cracking up yeah. at the white boy in his cargo khaki shorts with his white the only one there with his t-shirt tucked in <laughs> yeah he judd bushler bill wennington they all had their t-shirts tucked in. no those two oh. didn't it was only steve kerr don't make it a white guy thing it's a steve kerr what? thing i don't know what you're talking about um so so steve kerr said the shot went in that's my story i'm sticking to it and that was the end of it that was just kind of a cool little it charming was. thing there at the end of that and then go back to uh, Game 7. So jump from Game 4 to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals the next year. That's right. right? And against the Pacers. Back to that. Back to the Pacers. They start talking about, and this is, it gets really serious because they're in a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. And most people know that this is it. This is most likely it for Michael Jordan. He's it, not. Yeah. He that, said, Michael, I mean. Phil, get, Phil's not come. Right. Reggie Reggie Miller back. said, "I want to be the one that knocks Michael out. He, I want to be the one who stops my, the who stops the Bulls and Michael Jordan." He had and a he chance. Thought they were going to, yeah, because he said, still to this day, he feels like they had a better team yeah. than the Bulls did. I, and a talent, more talented team. But once again, and he, I don't know if it was him or somebody else in there that said, "You might, you can have the more talented team, but when you step into onto a court." in a game seven against a team that's won five of the last seven uh, uh, NBA championships, that, that there's something different to that team. There's different. There's a yeah. difference between, between playoff um, experience and talent. Exactly. Yeah, Reggie said championship DNA and championship, championship experience rose to the forefront in game seven. He said that's why at, at the end of it, he said that's why they won, yeah. that, that championship DNA. Um, 
So, but but they kind of build it up, and this is this is this could be it for Michael. You see, like banners and signs that you know uh, tickets are going. You know, tickets are super high because this might be Michael Jordan's last game ever um, if they lose, and and so they kind of build it up, build it up, and they also started talking about the relationship between he and uh, Gus Lett, who was one of his main security guys, and he, you know he talked. Michael talked about. Gus being a security guy, he was he was a retired police he officer. Was, he was he was less he was one of the guys with the blonde with the blonde uh perm guy at in Chicago, right? They they worked right. together. The blonde perm guy had his episode. Now my man Gus gets his. Right. I think it was John Michael Wozniak, I want to say. And then so so yeah, those guys and George Kohler, Michael's best friend. Uh, that 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 it shows every time his name comes up. Um, they were isn't that weird that it, they they talk to this guy in the way that they put his little thing under. It's just not not Michael associate or anything like that. It's Michael's best friend. Yeah, and and so uh, four or five episodes previous, somebody asked him about J- uh, Jason Hare, the director, about that, and he said that came from Michael. He said that he said we were we were we're asking, um, you know, how do how do we identify all these people? Yeah. And they I, I, it was either Michael or somebody that was handling that for him said this guy is Michael's best friend. That's what we want. <laughs> that's what we want to say. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so but it was. Yeah. It was George what does Kohler, that dude have on my what? Because I've seen the guy and I saw him and you see him throughout the throughout this this documentary, what has he got on Michael Jordan that that's Michael Jordan's best friend? <laughs> it sounds like he was probably pretty similar to Gus in that, you know, he, they, they came across but they Michael grew up early. Together. Yeah. They grew up right. together. Right. When this, didn't this kid go to high school? Didn't this guy go to high school with Michael Jordan? No, this was the guy that when Michael came to Chicago, no, 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 no. not, not Gus, trapped. not Gus. I'm talking about that George right. guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was George. Yeah. He, he was supposed to pick somebody else up and that guy didn't show up and Michael's driver didn't show up. So George noticed him, noticed that and said, Hey, my guy didn't show up. Do you want to ride? And that's how they, and then they started talking on the way to the United center from was the that, airport. Was that in this documentary? Uh, it was, no, I think that was in the same interview. Okay, good. Um, I good. Cause I didn't see Cody. that. That totally lost me. Yeah. I just automatically assumed he'd known Michael forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but anyway, so they, they do go into Gus Lett, and Gus was one of the security guys at the United Center. When Michael Michael talked about when he broke his foot his second year, um, he would come out and meet him at the car and help him get in and, and get to his seat and all that kind of stuff, and they started striking up a friendship, um, and then and it grew and grew and grew and grew. And, um, and, and he was, and Michael talked about, and this is another thing I love about Michael, he's so level-headed, um, th- that he he had these guys around. They were all older guys because he said that's what I that that was important to have those older, uh, you know, like guys that had it together, had their heads on straight, right? Um, to, to be in my corner and, and with me all the time, you know. And that's probably a huge reason why you almost never heard Michael Jordan getting into any trouble. Now he didn't always he wasn't always doing the right things all the time, <laughs> but. He might have almost he he may or may not have been kicked out of the NBA for eighteen months, but you don't know hardly ever hear about him. Established, I know. Come on, I'm just having some fun and just having some fun. I know. Um, But anyway, 
But no, I really do think because that was for most of Michael's career for, for the level star that he was, you, you, I mean, he was so beloved because of his basketball ability and because he wasn't, he, most people didn't know how bad a guy he was to his teammates in practice. So all you saw was, was this like, you know, like really charismatic guy. You saw LeBron James. Yeah. And and, and, yeah. Yes. LeBron's done a great uh, job of doing the exact same thing. Right. Um, So, yeah, but, and and he does talk about, and LeBron really kind of has done the same thing, except they're, those guys are all, the same age as LeBron. That's the, the, the there's a difference there. Got. Yeah, his group that but, he keeps. But he at least, but he at least had the sense early on to know who, you know, his boys that were that did have their heads on straight that were going to work hard and stuff that he knew early on. He kept those guys around, right? Um, and, and then and some guy that, and then he's some guy that he met on an airplane that turned out <laughs> right. to just randomly. Right. Isn't that how he met Maverick Carter? Just randomly on an airplane. Oh, I thought Maverick Carter went to high see, see, opposite for me, I thought Maverick Carter went to high school with him. I thought, well, it, one, him, Maverick Carter or the other guy, one of the two of his closest guys, I thought it was Maverick Carter, he met on an airplane. Like one of his oh. first two years in the league. Oh, maybe. There you go. See, so, I mean, you never know where relationships start like that. But that's the thing is LeBron and Michael – probably meet people like that every single day. Yep. And and for for every one of those guys, there are a hundred thousand people that yep. they see and they're like, nah, I'm, yep. I, I, I that's not my dude not, right there. Right. That's not my guy. I'm right. always gonna keep away from him. And that's what's so important about having the right people around you and, and making those judgment calls and, and uh and making seems, those judgments. It seems like he did the right thing. He did he was really cool with Gus. You know he he called him kind yeah. of his good luck charm when they when they went and when they and he brought him to Utah, didn't he? Did he bring him to Utah? Yeah, and he, he described. Yeah, go ahead. He, sorry, he, no. He he described Gus. He said he was a protector, but he was more than that. He was like a father figure. He right. he became like a father figure to him, especially after his own dad died. Yeah. You know, his his Gus's wife talked about how Michael would just call him in the middle of the night, so upset. Thinking about his dad, and Gus would drive. To I was his just house to say he didn't just, just talk to him; he just drive to his house. And then Gus gets cancer, and and right. and Gus and Gus is going through some struggles. But Michael, it, it's not wasn't the end of it. You know, Michael. They they say comes out later on. Michael paid for his, uh, his all his medical bills, and you know that this guy meant a lot to him. This this this, yeah, this, yeah. this dude meant a ton. To him now, I think they might have overplayed it a little bit because just watching the way that they, the video they showed and the different things like that, like I definitely think it was one of his close guys and like his people that he really loved probably. But I, 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 I don't know. Something seemed weird by the video they were showing, like compared to the way they were talking about this guy, like a father figure. Like he, he was always next to Michael, yeah, but because all his security, they also showed that. Blonde, weird dude, Wozniak next to him all the time. Like, I realized it was probably a little bit more, but I don't know. Something seemed off about that to me. Huh. I feel bad saying that because that's like one of the soft-hearted <clears throat> parts of the whole uh, show. But it was just uh, something was different about that. Well, uh, look, you might not be wrong about that, um, but but they kind of told that little story. To say that you know he he had to take a leave for a while to treat to get treat treatments for his lung cancer, um, but he came back. So he was away from those guys for a while. He came back for Game Seven of that Indiana. Series. 
because right. that might because right. everybody knew this might be Michael's last game ever. So Gus came back. They said he looked frail. He didn't look too good, and um, so he came back. Well, they, they showed they like, showed him. He look he looked he didn't look anything like the guy they showed. You know, pushing people away and everything. Yeah, yeah, he was he was, and uh, you know, most people know people that have that have had cancer and have gone through chemo treatments and stuff like that. Yep. It ages you a lot very quickly, Quick. and that very quickly. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did for Gus. But Gus came back, and that's I think that's kind of where Michael's. Well, it was after the game that Michael said he was his good luck charm, but and Michael got the ball. Um, Michael got the game ball and gave it to Gus, and Gus, you could tell how much that meant to Gus. <clears throat> and um, well, he talked about so, it. He said, oh, "It's just what did? How did he say that? Something like uh, it's just really amazing. You know, it's so great. I never, you know, Michael. Michael went out there and he and he found the game ball for me." Or something like that. Yeah. And I, it was like, eh, Michael probably was the only one that was getting that game ball. He probably said, that's mine, and somebody gave it to him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can I'm see just kidding. I'm just – I'm. I, I don't mean that really. This, they were obviously close. All right. So, so finishing up that game before, you know, before they got to the postgame stuff, the Pacers had a three-point lead with 630. This is what I wanted to bring up to you. The Pacers had a three-point lead, 77-74, with 6.39 to go in this game in the fourth quarter. Okay. And there was a jump ball. There was a ball on the ground. Everybody's diving after it. <laughs> jump ball between Rick Smith and so Michael So glad Jordan. you brought this up. Now, everybody that talks about this says this was the biggest play of that game and of that series probably. And I'm like, when when they're saying that, I'm like, there's six and a half minutes That's to exactly go. Exactly what I thought. There's six and a half minutes to go in basically a tie game in a one possession game in the NBA. You could be down 15 with six minutes left and make a comeback and end up tying that game up. That is that was the I found that so odd that everybody kept talking about how big that play was. And I then they said too. Michael won the tip and my, the the Bulls won the tip. Right, Rick yeah, Smith's tip. Michael didn't Mike, touch the ball. The ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, Smith just tipped it back talk, to Piven. Yeah, I've heard a bunch of people talk about this, and there was, um, you know, people talked about. A couple people said like they collided arms, so like, like they collided arms, so Rick Smith didn't tap it to where he meant to tap it to because of that, and um, and then you know there were people that were talking about how. I don't know. I just heard a bunch of people talking about this play because because they were talking about how big a deal it was, and that was the thing. Is I I was that's Reggie what I Miller first said it. Reggie Miller said if we would have got that ball, I don't think they could have came back. Yeah, he in said six we and a half said, minutes. Gone, yeah, well, if we would have gone down and gone up five points, then that that would have broken their back there. And and he, he said instead, so there was like kind of a scramble because that most of the time that is the case in a jump ball like that. It's almost like a long offensive rebound. Yep. You're scrambling to find a guy to guard then, right? Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of open threes come from, and that's exactly what happened. They Scotty got it, found uh, uh, I think through maybe through it to somebody else, and they found Steve Kerr wide open, yep. who should never be wide open. Um, and he he knocked down a three to tie the game there with six and a half minutes to go. But Larry Bird talked about how huge that was. Reggie Miller talked about how huge that was. Jalen Rose talked about how big that was. It's so and weird. It's I think it only is that big because of what happened after that. Like it 
it did spark the Bulls. The Bulls started playing I was going to say, I feel like it sparked the Bulls more than it would have broken their back if it hadn't have had happened. Like, I don't necessarily think that if that would have went differently and, and Reggie hit a three and they go down six, I don't feel like that necessarily would have broke the back as much as the Pacers' back getting broke because the Bulls just got one more push. They are just always there. You just can't get past them. I feel like the yeah. Bulls have been there so many times. They being down six was probably not that big of a deal with six minutes left. Yeah, it, it was definitely about momentum. It was definitely about momentum. I think, and they they felt it. It sounds like everybody felt the momentum swing, right? On mm-hmm. after that play. So I, I guess that's why they thought so highly, thought so you know weighed that so heavily that play. Um, so anyway, I did want to get your your opinion on that because and it sounds like we thought the same way. Um, and then, uh, so then the Bulls went on to win. Bulls went on to win that game the and Bulls, win the series. The Bulls and go on was, to win, and and uh, my man, my man, uh, um, uh, Larry Bird meets Michael behind the the, the offseason, and they both have a little smile, and he says, he says. U B I T C H, he's F U, and I was yeah. like, oh, it's so great that they can say that to each other and smile. <laughs> he said, he said, you gave us a run for our money. <laughs> yeah, yep, that was uh, that was two all-time greats having a a moment there. I think. Yep. I'm gonna tell myself that because those are my two favorite players ever. No, I, so, I, I I can't say that you'd be wrong in that. <laughs> uh but anyway yeah that was that was cool and then and i felt like that was a that was there was almost a feeling there in the same situation after the 93 finals where it was more relief like the relief that that they felt that they got over that hump because they hardly ever played game sevens i think that was the only only the second game seven that they had played in any series since they started winning championships in 91 yeah and but they weren't even used to being in game sevens and that was it. And they knew how they knew how tough Indiana was, and they probably knew Indiana was good enough to beat them. So the 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 relief I, I feel feel like Michael showed after that yeah. um was really noticeable. And that starts into episode ten. Before we get into episode was, ten, there's one what? thing I forgot real quick. Yeah. You hate Carl Malone. You not hate. You don't hate Carl Malone, but you dislike Carl Malone. He's not one of your favorite people, right? Uh, yeah, no, he's not. How I never known this, but uh, did it change your mind in any little bit, or did it put him a little bit higher on your scale when you saw him on the Bulls bus uh, after they lost? After they lost in the finals in '97, the first time, showing that was him. 98. Oh, was that in episode ten? It was. It was not. Yeah, it was in episode ten, '98. Oh, I yeah. got it all screwed up. Anyway, well, I'll just say it anyway. So Carl Malone gives I want, to, him, I want to talk about that. Okay, so so let's talk about it now since I already brought it up. Okay. I feel bad. Uh, so we no, can take that, nix that off uh, the, the episode 10 part. When he walks we'll in. edit it in post. We'll edit it in post. Edit it in post. There you go. Uh, did that knock Carl Malone up a notch seeing him in there giving Michael a hug, saying congratulations on the bus on after they had won in, in Scotty? You know what? It did a little bit. Just it was a very, very classy move. I did I did not expect that from Carl Malone. Um, it was a really classy move. Yes. And I, I 
I definitely appreciated it and respected that move. Um, to, to walk onto the bus while they're celebrating, they've got their championship shirts. They're all drenched in champagne. And they're all, you, are, you know, all happy. You are dressed in, you know, in your He's dressed game. in his hillbilly jeans like he always is. He, <laughs> he drove his he drove his eighteen wheeler home after that, or his uh, motorcycle. It Harley, or yeah, it's Harley. No, anyway, yeah. anyway. <laughs> Uh, so right. yes, you got to get into uh, game. You got to get into start episode ten for us. You got ep- uh, you got episode- a couple minutes because I have to uh, I have to make a break. We're oh man, I got the hour and fifteen minute break here. Okay, all right, go all right. ahead. Oh, okay. So you're not gonna stand up and go in another room? Okay, I am gonna stand uh, up and go in another room. I was just oh, okay. telling you. Yes, I am. I am doing that. I was. I was waiting to hear the noise. I was expecting. <laughs> I'm not peeing in anything here. I'm going to an actual bathroom. <laughs> hey, you do you, man. I can't see the bottom half of you, so you do yeah, whatever. You can see the shorts. I don't think it would work this time. I I can't. Oh, you oh, can't. You know what? If I hit that there, I can't. Now I can. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. All right. Continue. So thank Episode you for 10. not doing that. Okay. Episode ten starts with. Michael being in the best mood I have seen him in any episode or any other time in my life that I've seen Michael, I think. I've seen him in good moods plenty of times, but that's part of the that's part of the feeling of that being so exhausted and having to do so much in, against the Pacers to beat that Pacers team in seven games. The feeling of getting over that obstacle and getting into the finals again, he was just in such a good mood going into uh, on their the traveling to Utah, getting to Utah. They show their shoot around when he's got the low top Jordans on, and he's got. It looks like he's not. He wasn't ready to go to a shoot around. He just showed up, and uh, he was in such a good mood. He was just. It was just kind of different to watch. It felt like he was a different guy. It felt like they had just won the, the, the NBA championship, not just the Eastern Conference championship. So seeing that uh, was crazy. He was he got on the he got on the bus with the disc man, you know, probably had the full got on the bus with the disc man with the full uh, uh, probably the 10 second skip thing where, you know, you really have oh, yeah. to really have to make it oh, really yeah. to do something. You got to knock that thing to make it skip. Right. My man was jamming. He was jamming. He had the, he had the Sony. He oh, had the Sony. It was the okay? Sony DualShock. Yes, that's the what Sony it was. DualShock. <laughs> good, uh, good reference. Um, I, I had to so buy yeah, one. I had to buy one of those to put it in my old Saturn because everybody and their brother had a CD player that had the faceplate that detached. Because that apparently yeah. people were stealing CD players all the time, and nobody would steal it if you did. De- I bought one of those later in life and never detached the plate. Just always left it in. Anyway, uh, I bought one of those because that's how I had to listen to my CDs in my car. With the you had to have your seat, your your Sony Walkman DualShock that you could sit on the passenger seat, put your CD in there, close it, and then you had to have a thing that ran, you know, an audio wire that ran to a piece of to it. Not a piece of tape, but to a cassette tape that you put in the cassette deck, and then you can listen to your CDs through your cassette deck. I totally had that. Yeah, totally had that too. Uh, before I got my te- but my five disc CD changer. That, that was, was the greatest, that. by the way. But and me and Adam would drive around all night, some nights. Just all we would do, he just load up his five disc CD changer with 
the you know Eminem was big at the time and or Snoop or he had every West Coast rapper. It was just and we just roll we just roll through town in that in that uh, S10 just all over and the, town. And the WWF soundtrack. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, DX uh, on there. Yep, yep. <laughs> and speaking of that, we'll, we'll get into wrestling here shortly. By the way, um, but Ooh. they get into Utah. They're so happy. Michael is in the best mood I've ever seen him in because of that, the, the, the feeling of just finally just getting through Game 7 and winning that yeah. the Eastern Conference. So, um, so they get there. Um, and this is the first time that we see Michael Jordan's kids yeah. at this point. No, the no, they showed them early in the documentary and they were dribbling basketballs in the background. When oh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you're Sorry. right. First time but they interviewed him. First time they, inter- first time they yes. interviewed him. Right. Um, so, and they talked about how they weren't with smiles on their faces because I think they were holding back a little bit to, to not say what they really wanted to say. Because which they, which the is they hate Salt Lake City. They hate Utah. That's what they wanted to say because they were all, all the fans are assholes. That's what they wanted to say. Yes. Exactly, and there's there's been especially in the last few years with Russell Westbrook having a couple run-ins and other people, other guys, yeah. There's people saying racial stuff there all the time, and so yeah, so yeah, Utah has has Salt Lake has gotten uh, sort of a reputation around. Do the you think? Do you think the lady, the the lady Indiana. in the Indiana Pacers uh, during the Pacers games? Do you think she's from Salt Lake City? And just <laughs> just was a transplant to Indy, so she became an Indianapolis Pacers fan. Because that lady was that, annoying as hell. I don't know why they kept that showing lady her. Had the foulest mouth of any woman that looks like a rich middle aged yes. woman. So I, so they were talking to yeah. Spike Lee on Get Up about the whole Salt Lake City deal, right? And so and in and well, it was Stephen A. Smith. It wasn't Get Up. It was a. Uh, um, what is that? First take. It was the first take. First. And Stephen A. Smith is, is there and and uh, Spike Lee's on there. And they were talking to him about they were talking they asked Stephen A about Salt Lake City. And he immediately started going into Salt Lake City's, you know, uh, for a black man is one of the worst fans you can be. And all of a sudden all of a sudden Spike Lee interrupts him. Don't forget about Indiana. Don't you forget about Indiana? I almost got lynched in Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. I know, jeez, and uh, it Stephen's Stephen A is like, hey, I'm not saying Indiana's great. I'm just at the the question was about Salt Lake City, Spike. We can get to Indiana later if you really want to. <laughs> and it was Stephen A. Poor Stephen A. Whenever Spike Lee, they bring Spike Lee on there all the time, and every time they do, Stephen A. tries so hard because you know they're both big Knicks fans. You know, he, yeah. he, but Spike Lee goes off the rails quick quick on that show yeah and when and when Stephen a smith is the one who is the, the calmer <laughs> you have a big problem you got there. a big problem jason williams was the other guy on there and jason williams eventually interrupts and goes man Stephen a i feel like you're really not into this today man i feel no hype out of you you're not getting really excited <laughs> it was pretty funny it's pretty funny yeah. it's because he was <laughs> overwhelmed with having to cool down spike lee yep 
That's funny. I got to go watch that. I'm I'm a little offended as a, a regular attender, as a former season ticket holder from the India for the Indiana Pacers. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm disappointed if that's really the case. I'm disappointed in Indiana fans. I didn't know that to be the case. Um, but anyway, uh, it's one of the, so, la- so, yeah, one of the few places that still have like Ku Klux Klan meetings. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. In Indiana, that is yeah. where the Ku Klux Klan started. Yeah, I believe. Um, so. Anyway, Michael's kids, Marcus, Jeffrey, and Jasmine, all make an appearance here. And they talk, Marcus and Jeffrey talk about how basically mom said, you're not going to Utah, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to watch those first two games here because it's not totally safe for you to go to Utah. I don't know. And that's true, especially after the year before when when their dad spit on a pizza and couldn't play the next day. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. Everybody, everybody was convinced that any anybody that had the flu in Salt Lake City after that was convinced they got it from Michael Jordan. Yep, yep. Um, Michael spit so, on his piece. Michael's just spitting on us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, Michael's kids make an appearance. They kind of talk about that, um, and then go into game one. Uh, this game goes into overtime, and I, I've been wanting to talk about this to to men- just mention this. Every single week we've talked about this documentary. The scores of the, the final scores of these games, Chris. Mm-hmm. We are talking in the eighties and nineties. Very rarely yeah. are you more than one hundred four in these games. This no, game yeah, one, yeah. In fact, sometimes you're about overtime. half of that. Yeah, game one went into overtime. They played an extra five minutes, and the final score was eighty-eight, eighty-five. It was a different time. Game, it was a different it, time in basketball. The three-pointer was not as prevalent. There were less offensive right. possessions. There were more defense. Yeah. The the shot clock was longer. The uh, ten second. Well, at that point, it was a ten second clock. Uh, half court to get past half court. It's eight now. There was. There's a lot of things that are different about today's NBA. In that NBA, the defense. Obviously, besides just talking about the defense, you can take defense out of it and just add a f- couple other things, and they would drop scores down ten to twelve points a game easily without not without even talking about what everybody else who watches games and, and complains about the NBA would say is there's no defense now. It's way more than that. That is the reason why that is. However, I kind of enjoy that. I like. I kind of like that. You know, I don't need that. That once again gets into the point of, you know, maybe it was a big deal to be down by three with six minutes left back then. Unlike now, where you, like I said, you could be down fifteen with six minutes, and that's nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yep, especially if you're a good offensive team, you're never really out of a game. Right. Um. So anyway, that it did. It went into overtime. Uh, game one did, and. Uh, the Jazz won. The Jazz won that game. So the Jazz went up 1-0. Uh, and then game two, Bulls came back, won that game by five. These were all close games. Uh, games one and two were. Tie that series. Then they go to Chicago. Can we talk about and game I, three? Game three, I can't I can't tell you exactly what happened. They showed some highlights and stuff, but they kind of rushed through it. Basically, but the final score was 96-54. Can I tell you, I had no, I don't remember that. I that, like out of all the stuff we watched, I I remember that final series. Uh, it was the year I graduated from grade school, so uh, out of eighth grade, getting ready to go to high school. And I remember we had a whole bunch of like eighth grade parties. Kids were having parties at their house, 
and we were watching these these finals during that time. I specifically remember all watching different games at different people's houses. But I can tell you right now, I do not remember a, a, a NBA Finals team being held to 54 points. Not only being held to 54 points, that wouldn't be that big of a deal if the game ended even 70 to 54. But it was 96 to 54. Yeah. That 54 is crazy. 54 points is the lowest point total. Uh, at, at least at that point, was the lowest point total for anybody in the shot clock era, playoffs, not playoffs, in any NBA game. The lowest point total. So in the finals, in the NBA finals, they held them to the lowest point total of any game in the shot clock era. That Now points. this is where I would rather see in the documentary. I'd rather see uh, well, what happened in the jazz locker room afterwards what did carl malone say to his team what did john stockton john stockton didn't say anything he probably just punched everybody in the face but um (laughs) what did what did carl malone say to everybody what did john havlicek say after he got done rubbing his face uh to say hi to his kids while he shot his free throws but the sloan do you remember when he would shoot a free throw do first off he shot his free throws (laughs) did i say his name right you said John Havlicek. It's Jeff Hornacek, yes. But you, you know what I'm talking know, about. Oh, my you know, God. I know exactly what I'm talking not about. talking you know. about John. <laughs> the, we're talking not the, what was he, in the 60s or something, 70s? We're not talking about Havlicek was in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about that guy. We're talking about <laughs> Jeff Hornacek. Hornacek, Hornacek, Um First off, he shot his free throws with his right foot, like I'm going to say two feet in front of his left foot. Did you do you ever you remember that at all? And he was a phenomenal oh. free throw shooter, but he always he rubbed his face. I remember during that they always yeah. talked about how he rubbed his face, and that was his way of saying hi to his kids. First off, yeah. if you do it before every single free throw, that's no le- longer saying hi to your kids. That's just you having a silly, uh, what do you call it? Uh, routine, routine, not routine, but superstition that you got to touch your face before every free throw. All right. Do it after the first. Do it before the first one. That's high to the kids. After that, shoot your free throws. Listen, you got to shoot them exactly the same. Your, your routine has to be exactly the same on free throws every single time. That's a complete you lie, or else I would have never missed a free throw. No way, no way. I'm telling you, got to be the same. All right, um, but <laughs> but anyway, you're right. He did. He did. <laughs> I forgot about that until you said that. Um, I loved. I loved him. John I loved Havlicek. Havlicek. I called him John Havlicek. John Havlicek. <laughs> Terrible is that. I, you didn't even give me that much shit for that. You just kind of laughed it off. <laughs> it was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> we could have uh, just went along with it like you did it on purpose. Like I did it on purpose, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, old Pete. No, but so the, the, the funny thing, another funny thing, by the way, after that game, it was such an, a lopsided score, and they scored so few points that Jerry Sloan in the press conference after the game <laughs> – was confused about the paper that he was given the box score. They gave him the box score. Is he the said, final score? He said, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, is that the score? Is that the final score? I think Jerry you put Sloan my halftime score next to. Anyway, he, yeah, I don't know if you ever saw Jerry Sloan's uh, Hall of Fame speech. No, but I never noticed. Like, I think that was the first time I really saw Jerry Sloan speak for a long time. Funny. I mean, 
strange. Oh, strange. Like, oh, I see him as a strange. You just look at him and would, see him as a strange person. I was hoping you were going to say yeah. really funny. No, he was odd. Right. Odd. Oh, like, uncomfortably odd. Um, anyway, the, <laughs> so but that was funny. And then the day after game three, right, Dennis Rodman does not show up to practice. Nobody knows where he is. Which isn't a which isn't a big surprise for anybody, right? Those guys no. were used to that stuff. Yeah. But we found out that he missed practice because he jumped on a plane and went to They all saw him on Monday Night Nitro. <laughs> Monday Nitro, WCW Monday Nitro, which I was probably watching at your house with you. Probably <laughs> there's a good chance. There's a good chance. <laughs> um so, I got a black NWO shirt just like he did. I got the red NWO Wolfpack shirt. I had them all, man. I had yeah. them all. Yeah. Well, well. See, I think the white and the white and black NWO those were the heels, weren't they? Because the Wolfpack yep. those were the yep. good. And I, so I of course was liking those guys. So that was when that was when Hulk Hogan was a bad guy, which messed my mind up so it, much. It never really worked. It never worked. It never worked. People no. loved the NWO. He, they did not do very good as being a heel. <laughs> yeah, but that's when wrestling like took off big time. Like that started. Yeah, that was like their second wave, right? The eight, the eighties. They had that uh, mid to late eighties where they were huge, and then boom, the the WCW WWF war that went down. Yeah, jumped it back up again, and apparently yeah. it's pretty big now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I. I all of a sudden, my son can't—he can't stop talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I—I I, a few times over the last couple of years, like I've seen it on, and I—I'll turn it on, and I—I'll—I'll I'll be less than two minutes in, and I'm like, "This is awful." No I way. I love walk. every second of it. I love every second of it because there's is for as for as much ridiculousness as there is, there's some stuff where you're like, "Oh, that really did hurt." Like. That wasn't a jip oh, yeah. like that really hurt. Yeah. I like that. So, that's what makes me that's what makes me come back. It definitely does like they if you've ever seen the documentary Beyond the Mat, yes. uh, yep. they you know, they, they talk about how how real it really is. Um and speaking of that, and I, I won't get into this whole thing because we don't want to jump off track. Um I saw a uh, part of an interview today where where uh The Undertaker was on with Bill uh uh Bill Simmons. On his podcast, <laughs> that's and, a. And are, I never thought I hear that, but okay. The Undertaker does. He's just a regular guy now. Like he doesn't. He's transformed into like. Okay, he just does interviews and stuff. Like he's a regular guy because yeah. he is, and he's a, he's a hundred years old, but he's apparently still involved. In most that. of these guys do. Were, that's how most of these guys are now. Like they have their their what their whoever they are, but the way social media is and everything is now, like they they they've got to be themselves. They can't put this act on. 24 7 so they do a ton of just regular themselves interviews yeah uh, but it was interesting and they were in the couple minutes i was watching it they were talking about the the uh cage match between he and mick foley the greatest was, thing ever when he chokeslammed him from the top of the thing and he went through the top of the cage and landed fell all the way down to the ring oh i thought he was gonna to be happen. oh i thought oh, that i knew i heard that wasn't supposed to happen but i thought it was the one where he was on top of the cage with mick foley and threw him off of it onto the announcer's table because that wasn't i yeah i thought he was dead yeah 
and and he was like he, he so they were talking about both of those things but the one that i was watching was he was talking about the first one he was talking about when he when they slammed him through the top of the cage and he wasn't supposed to go through but he went yeah. through and and dropped whatever it is 15 20 feet or whatever it is it felt and, like more uh, than that yeah and, and and i think didn't he land on didn't he, he land on tack, thumbtacks or something like that uh, that was there? the old that was the old ecw i don't think they had i don't think that was going down in that match necessarily oh. they still had some ecw crazy stuff go down but not quite like that i thought he landed on something but he did say that his tooth came out went through his lip and got stuck in his nose it, mick foley's tooth <laughs> Came out, oh went through his God. lip, came out and got stuck in his nose. And he said he went down and like got to him and was like he he, he could tell he was dazed, like he yeah. it wasn't supposed to happen. He took a bad fall, and and he's like, all right, let's 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 bring it home or whatever. And he's like, let's finish this because you got to get to the hospital yeah. or something. <laughs> and he he looked down. And he thought he said he thought it was a big nasty booger hanging out of his nose at first he's like oh god that's gross and then he looked again and realized it was his tooth and he said mick foley took his tooth out of his nose and handed it to the ref <laughs> mick foley is the is the toughest person mick foley is mick foley is currently doing well not currently right now but he was before right before this started he had a bunch of dates he's traveling around just telling stories they just give him a microphone and he just tells stories. And yeah. I was this close to calling you and saying, dude, because he was going to be in Indianapolis or Nashville. And I was like, oh, I want to go watch Mick Foley talk. Because I, I don't even care about the WWE days, WWF days. I, wanna, I just want to hear all about the craziness that went down in the ECW. Because yeah. those people were nuts. Sandman and, oh, my God. God, Taz, yeah. those dudes are all crazy. Hardcore Holly and all those guys. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get back. So Dennis and, and, Rodman and just the throw in with that, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. Who's in a, wrestler. backstage, what? backstage with his honeys all around him. No Carmen Electra. Did you notice that? Carmen wasn't like I feel like WWE did uh, WW or WCW at the time didn't do a very good job because if they're going to show him backstage with Hulk Hogan and girls all around Carmen Electra at that moment in time should have been with him should have been with him Carmen Electra I guarantee was in that marriage with the complete understanding that he is going to do whatever he wants with oh, yeah. whomever he wants Anytime he wants, and they were fine with that. There's been a bunch of interviews with her. Have you seen any of those? No. Uh, there was one. Uh, Sarah Spain did an interview with her uh, on her radio show, and she said it was one of the most romantic things Dennis Rodman ever did. <laughs> one of the most romantic things he ever did during while they were together was um, he blindfolded her and said, I'm going to take you somewhere special. And. Oh, okay. In the middle of the night, he goes, takes her to the Bulls practice facility, and they just had their way all over the Bulls practice facility is basically the way she, <laughs> she described it. <laughs> Yikes. Sarah Spain's a huge Chicago – she's from Chicago, big you know, Cubs fan, big Bulls fan, uh, Blackhawks fan. And she was like, you tell that story, and a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, my gosh, that's the craziest thing I ever heard, but that's just my dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dennis was uh, 
we already knew. I mean, there was an episode and a half about Dennis Robin. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he, <laughs> so he does that. He misses practice. And of course the media is all over it. Right. And the, you know, those guys are like, okay, here we go again or whatever. And they had to answer questions. Phil Jackson's answer, answer questions. And that's the only thing that really probably bought. That's the thing that bothers him more than anything about it. Probably is having to answer questions about it. Because right. Phil said, and I don't, I, I think this is only partially true, but he said, it's only a big deal to you. Like you guys lose focus on this. We don't. Um, I, I think it, it was probably more of a distraction for them than they let on in the media. But yeah, did uh, you hear also, Michael the next day? Rodzilla, Rodzilla, yeah, let's yeah. go. They're totally making fun of him. It was definitely a distraction. Yeah, and and, uh, and Phil said something about how they they were messing with him at the beginning of practice or whatever, and um, and and you know Rodman standing there practicing in his pajama pants, and then so after <laughs> practice, after the practice, he's in those same pajama pants, and because he didn't change them, I guess, and um, he. <laughs> Went to so th- there's a whole huge group of media people out there waiting for him to come out because they're going to bombard him. They're going to ask him about wrestling and what's what is he doing? Why is he why is he leaving in the middle of the finals to go do some stupid stuff on WCW? So they figure that out and they try to a couple people try to sneak him out this back way. Oh my gosh, the guy! Does that, can we talk about the, him. Can we talk about the guy? The guy who introduces like. The guy who introduces himself into this documentary and goes, "Okay, okay, you ready? You ready to shoot? Ready to shoot? Hi, I'm I'm Nick Daniels, and I'm the uh, the director of media here in wherever they were at the time. Were they in Salt Lake City at the time? In Salt Lake City, and and uh, we're, what we're going to do is we've got out right right on the other side of this door, we've got about 55 media members, and we can't get Dennis out to the bus because they're all going to swarm him. And Dennis, in his words, and he looks over, obviously, at Dennis Rabinan and goes, is not talking to anyone today. And he's like, so we're going to try to sneak him out the back. Like he's No, like no, it wasn't isn't talking to anyone. It was the complete opposite of that. It was ain't talking to nobody. Ain't talking to nobody. That's right. Anyway, he, he's <laughs> – this guy is like, he's like doing a YouTube video, right? Like my son does this all the time now because he watches these silly videos and he's like, hey, everybody, thanks for watching my video. What we're going to do today is play basketball. Come on, Dale, let's play basketball. And then, and it's, so I felt like this, this guy's like introducing, what is this? Just get the guy out of there. What are you doing? (laughs) Who cares about the TV cameras? Get this dude out of here. He so made a show funny. out of it. He, he definitely <laughs> made a show out of it. Anyway, that made that so, made me laugh so yeah. really hard. So Dennis tries to sneak out, and he and people see him, and he realizes, oh my god, here they come! So he runs away, and and people with cameras and microphones are chasing after him. Anyway, uh, so next day, game four. All mm-hmm. right, you get to you get to get past all that. Game four in Chicago. Uh, there wasn't really much about this game. Bulls won 86-82. We'll speed this thing up. They go up 3-1. Bulls go up 3-1. They're in a great position. After being down oh, uh No, that was the year before. Never mind. Uh, but they started down 0-1, right? So won the next three. And then uh, game five in Chicago. Um, they're talking about... 
they're they're like ready to celebrate a championship. Oh, buddy! Right? Every single interview they showed was them talking about how they were about to just win it. Yeah, and Michael was all smooth. He was lacing up his shoes before the game, and he was messing with Scott Burrell, of course, like always. Oh. And then Tex Winter comes through and says, "And says, uh, are your shoes all right? Uh, otherwise, you're going to be sliding all over the place out there or something." And Michael's like. I'm gonna slide a ring onto your finger tonight, Tex. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that was kind of smooth, but um, uh, Michael was wrong, by the way. Yeah, yes, he was. <laughs> Michael was wrong. Another close game. That 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 game three was a total anomaly. All these other games were within like three or four points because yep. uh, the Jazz won that game, 83-81. Another low-scoring game in the mm-hmm. 80s. Um, so three-two now. Now they have to go back to Utah. So they had a chance to win a championship in their last championship on their home floor in yep. Chicago. Michael played his whole career. Would have been the most storybook ending you could have had. They have to go back to Utah, though. Um, and they go back to Utah for game six, and now Michael's getting a little more serious. He's They show him before the game. He's quiet, not talking, not talking to, anybody. to anybody. Right. And, and uh, so, and we find out then that Scotty's got this bad back from the game before. Something happened to his back. He's got he's getting treatment before the game. They have the TV on. They're talking about Scotty's back on TV. So Phil comes in and turns it off. I love that they turn. He turns it off as Scotty's getting like he's got like a heat press on his back, and Phil turns it off, and you could tell Scotty was listening. He's like, we want to know what these <laughs> yeah. people had to say about his back. He turns around yeah. and looks like, hey man, turn that back on. But that's why Phil turned it off. Yeah, he didn't want him to. Um, so anyway, so Scotty comes 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 back, um, and, and he's getting all this treatment, and then he starts very first play of the game. Uh, he gets a wide open dunk, and I, I can tell one of those things. Dude, you can see it. Oh, I was just going to yeah. say you can totally see the tweak when he tweaks it. Yeah, and he's not right. And and this so and they they talked about this. Um, they talked to the trainer, and the trainer was saying, for those people that say that Scottie Pippen was uh, weak and he sat out games for you know ter- for whatever reasons, it's complete opposite. Scottie played through some of the worst pain I've seen any player ever play through. That is a big thing because Scottie Pippen, uh, up until this documentary, to me, to a lot of people, I was always like, mm, I've been a little, I've been a little soft, kind of a little, maybe a little <laughs> soft when it came to. Because I always felt like he was, you know, always injured. He was always injured. There was always something wrong with him. Something's hurt. Something's wrong with him. But that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you're soft. It just means that you're injured, <laughs> and and it is what it is. So, anyway, that that yeah. was a, that was a pretty cool deal because Scotty was totally ready to be a decoy, as we talked yeah. about earlier yeah. with Michael. Right in the flu game. Right. So yeah, Scotty, and really Scotty. Unlike Michael, really had to be a decoy in this game, and he, he pretty much was. He said that's. He also he hit a couple like pretty tough looking shots that they showed. Yeah. A lot of like yes, a lot right. of like jump hooks and and things like that. And I was like, man, some of these are uh, for a guy that's like that. That really must have been sore and hurt. I bet that hurt like hell. Oh. Well, he left the game twice. He left the game in the first quarter. Yep. And sat the rest of the, sat the entire second quarter. Was in the locker room the whole time. Through through halftime, get getting treatment every way he possibly can to try to get this back right. Phil came so at, at halftime. Do you see Phil's face? Can you start? Are you able to start? Oh yeah. And he looked yeah, at him. He, he looked at him. Oh, yeah. and must said yeah. He goes, all right then. Like he almost looked annoyed. Yeah. He looked annoyed as hell in that. So? Oh, big time. 
Huh. Um, well, yeah. So, so they, uh, so he did start, he started and you could see, I, I he was running really awkwardly. Like he yep. couldn't even run. He, no, he looked- it was, I've had that feeling before. I've had that feeling yeah. with my hip, um, in lower back where you, you get this, you, you can't bend you, when you run, you kind of, your back straight, you kind of, you, you, I don't know how to even describe it, but it's almost like you can't quite fully extend your leg. So his legs aren't really running all the way and his back is kind of hunched. I know that feeling. I felt that feeling yeah. before. It's so, so I, yeah, you can't like, cause you like run, you're yep, like, you're twisting. Yeah. Twist. You can't really do that. Like you said, your legs can't like it, it hurts to like, you know, the full extend. range. Of your yeah. Leg. yeah. Um, so you could tell he was definitely really, really, really hurting. Um, and he, uh, so he went, so he, he came back, started the third quarter, ended up, uh, sometime in the, maybe it was the end of the third, uh, or early in the fourth, went back into the locker room again and got some more treatment to try to get to where he could, you know, be a little bit effective at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, and he did end up coming back and so he played, I think most of the second half. Um, but he, so the jazz are up three, uh, with 41 seconds to go. Right, so we got to go through these last few scenarios here because this is the biggest. This is the end of the. the this is the last. This is it. This is it. The end of Michael Jordan's career. Um, they're up. Uh, so they're so yeah. I think they hit a shot to go up. Yes, Jazz are up three, forty-one seconds. Michael gets the ball, and uh, in four seconds, drives right past somebody, scores a layup on over a big. Thirty-seven seconds left. Bulls are down one. Um, they come down, uh, what was the next, I think there was a possession and then another possession and then they came back down. I want to say they get, they get to where they throw the ball in the post. It's like the end of the game where the, the, sorry, the jazz were up one. They're throwing it into the post. This is like the jazz last possession probably to score before the bulls get it for the last possession of the game. So if they can score, Go up three. That puts the pressure on the Bulls to have to, to shoot a three just to to, to win. So they're going to go to their best option, obviously, which is Carl, Carl Malone. So Michael, Michael Jordan. The, the this is typical. This is what makes Michael Jordan great because he. There are some times where people will be like, uh, the well, people will describe something afterwards, and sometimes I'm like, mm, I watched it, and watching that. That was just instinct. Something happened, and it was bang, bang. You were there at the right right place, right time, and it happened. And you're describing it like you had it planned out your whole life. Absolutely not with this. Michael Jordan really totally knew that Carl Malone had no idea he was going to be on his weak side. They knew the ball was going to him. You can see it. He's watching Carl Malone the entire time, just kind of hanging back. Nowhere near Brian Russell at the time or whoever he was guarding. And I think he was going Hornacek, yeah. It was a Hornacek, okay. And not even near him, really. And and just kind of waiting for that pass to happen. And as soon as that pass happens, boom, Michael says, you know, I'm 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 sitting there. I, I knew that we all knew where they were gonna go. And if they went to Carl, I was gonna be on his weak side. And he hadn't seen he, I hadn't been over there yet. And and he totally talks about it and just comes over. And Michael Jordan, can I tell you this? In basketball, growing up in basketball. 
it was always taught if when you go for a steal from bottom up, right? You always when you're going for a right. steal from the floor from the floor to their face. That's how you want to try to swipe the ball. Because if you come right. down, you're going to hit their hand. Michael Jordan swiped down on the ball more than anybody I've ever seen in my life, and oh, never yeah. got called a, on, never had a foul call um, for that in these big situations. And he totally just strips Carl Malone. Beautiful. Uh, uh, it's 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 a thing of beauty. It did, yeah, and, and it was, you know, it kind of got a little bit of a lucky bounce. It kind of like hit Malone's foot or something. It went behind him, mm-hmm. and Malone just like went to the ground. Cause I, I think maybe trying to sell like a, a foul because that was part of it too. As Michael said, because he and Rodman were wrestling the whole game, basically beating and, the crap out of each other. Yeah, and Rodman was doing it on purpose to get in his head and distract him. I love that they're a, patting it, each other it, on the it, butt afterwards. That's another sign of respect. Like they, those two, those two respected each other. Rodman and Malone. During that time, did you see how many times they were, were going after each other and they're blowing the whistle and like, whoa, whoa, break it up, break it up. And afterwards, they're patting each other. <laughs> Rodman pats him on the butt. Malone pats Rodman on the butt. Rodman kind of looks at him like, don't you touch my ass, man. What are you doing? It was so funny. I, I, I think that was – I don't think that was respect at all. I think Rodman was was trying to get into his head even more and smacked him on the butt and, Rod, and he turned – Malone turned around and smacked, like tried. He had to reach for it. When he, you could tell, he like reached back and tried to hit him kind of hard. And that's what. And then Rodman. Oh, see, I felt like that was all. I felt that was like. I felt like that was a joke. Like they were joking with each other. Like, like no. they were actually coming back to each other. I you know one of those things where you get in a fight with somebody, but they're really, but really you're not really in a fight. You know, you're just playing. You're you're in a competitive position and then the the blade blow the whistle or whatever and you look up and you're like oh man it's all good it's all good ain't, ain't, ain't nothing here it's all oh, good I, I didn't think it was like that at oh all really see i took it that it, way it was i think it was rodman was endlessly trying to get into his head and and malone was pretty good about not letting him but he at times because rodman is so annoying and because he was constantly doing the little extra stuff and mm-hmm. the, the thing where he trips him three times. And Did they ever fight in the WCW? Tangled up. Yeah, that was he, – he was in his head. I remember him being in Malone's head a little bit. Did they ever and, fight in the WCW, though? I, see, I don't they remember. Both, I they were both in it because Malone they was in it. in it. Malone was in right. the NW. I feel like Malone had the NWO, too, though, didn't he? You know, it could have been because – and that the 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 clip that they showed when Rodman was on Nitro, yeah, he was hitting Diamond Dallas Page with a that's chair. That's who he was. That's who he was with. He was with Diamond Dallas Page. Carl Malone. Carl Malone, Malone was with Diamond Dallas Page. It, yes, was, was DDP's boy. That yeah. was DDP. That is that is right. So that, that I bet that. I wonder if that fight ever happened. Hulk Hogan, Diamond Dallas Page, Hulk Hogan and uh, Dennis Rodman versus DDP and. Uh, and and Carl Malone, DDP yoga. By the way, if you haven't done it, amazing. Yeah, I've heard. I've never done it. Um, you've done it? No, no, I just oh. heard. Okay, <laughs> I have to. I've never done it. I've heard though. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so here we go. Because the biggest the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about this whole night is coming right, up here. Let's do it. So, they get the ball. Michael gets the steal. They do not call a timeout. Michael walks the ball up, left side of the floor, kind of surveys everything. He says, waits for the right time. Uh, I think Rodman cleared out through the middle, took uh, took a uh, car. I think it was Antoine Carr with him. 
um, which I don't know why why Antoine Carr would follow Dennis Rodman to the corner. Why wouldn't you just stay in the middle of the floor and guard the middle? Of, I mean, I don't know. Maybe a defensive three seconds thing. I don't know. Was there defensive three seconds at that time? I didn't think that I, came on until like 2002, 2003. I don't know. I thought it was – I don't know. I don't know. I'd have anyway, to look that up. It was in that um, time anyway, frame. So I would think he would help off, and I would think they would. I would think they would double in that situation. And to Dude, but they the said they made it very poignant. Brian Russell was their guy on defense. Like they felt Brian Russell could guard anyone, and they. I mean, that was it's like Gary Payton. Do you think when Gary Payton was guarding Michael that they ever doubled him? I feel like they just said, "All right, GP, you got him." I mean, maybe a couple times. I'm just. I don't know. But after after Michael made Brian Russell look like he couldn't guard him all series for two series in a row, two years in a row. I mean, I don't know. Um, anyway, so Michael does the thing, the the shot, the last shot, whatever you call it, uh, where he goes, you know, starts on the left side and goes to the middle of the floor and then jukes uh, to the right. Yeah. He, he, pull, he crosses over kind of back, back to his left and knocks that the 18 foot jumper down. Five seconds left. Five seconds left. Chris. Did no, push no, no. Not even like this argument. This argument that has been going on for years. Okay, and you are a big guy about they should have called the foul. That should have been a foul. This should have been a foul. On the Reggie thing. I'm I'm I don't I'm not putting words in your mouth for this. On the Reggie. That to uh, like I'm good with them not calling a foul on the Reggie play. I'm 100% good with there not being a foul on this. Not only am I good with that, this was not a foul. If you you can slow it down and do whatever you want, Brian Russell's already falling before Michael – like Michael's not – you can watch his hand. It doesn't push against his his backside or wherever it's at. It, it touches – he touches him. Sure, he touches him as he's crossing over. But he's not pushing Brian Russell in any way, shape, or form. The the push off, uh, in my in my in my personal opinion, the push off, uh, uh, thought process is ridiculously stupid. I'm done. Go. You disagree? I am. I am. Su- I am surprised. First of all, I'm surprised at your opinion on that. Really? And I'm so. I'm I'm a little bit disappointed. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. I'm a little bit disappointed just because I thought this was going to be a huge argument, but I could not agree more since the moment it happened. I've been 100%. arguing my brains out. Who? Who? With who? Not a, he with did who? Not push him. Who in God's name have you argued with? Because I want to talk to him. Because this I, is I the like- dumbest. This when people say this, like I love getting in arguments with people in bars or places where people that that act like they know sports or, or people that don't know sports, but they you know they hear the media talk about something, so they just repeat the exact words that come out of somebody on the radio's voice and can't back it up. I love that because then I'll ask them five questions about it and go come all right and explain this 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 and they can't they're it's ridiculous. So I love arguing with people about different stuff this this is i won't even argue with you about this if you come up and you're like he pushed off on brian russell i just go sure if that's what you think and i turn around and walk away because it's stupid it's 
Adam, I'm, buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, I get cold chills right now. I'm getting excited. <laughs> like you said, since the day it happened, the dumbest thing I've ever heard is for people to say that he pushed him off. Brian Russell was so uh, was was so um, what's oh my god, I'm so terrible at thinking at thinking of words. He was committed. He was so committed to Michael taking taking it to the basket. Uh, on his right side, because you always hear push Michael to the left, push Michael to the left, push Michael to the left. He was so committed to Michael making that move to the right and going to the middle to go to the basket that he fell on his face. If Michael would have never touched him, Brian Russell would have done the exact same thing. If his hand never touched him, nothing would have changed. I I agree. I think Michael (laughs) Tiny, tiny bit of pressure, but not a foul pressure. No, okay, okay. I, I hate there was, uh, whatever. It was, what I, I, it was there. Was, he he touched him. He touched right. him. So think, there's pressure, but yeah, I think in no way exactly. did it change at all what the end circumstance would have been of where Brian Russell ended up. In zero way, it would have been like yeah. me. It would have been like a hand check. If somebody's just standing at the standing at the top dribbling, and you just put your hand on their hip, that's the pressure. Yeah. That was put on him, it or less or less. Bob Bob Costas Bob Costas uh, s- explained it very well that probably only a certain percentage of people are even going to understand, which I shouldn't understand it because I don't eat at places like this. But he said uh, it was like the equivalent of a mater d showing someone to their table. Yeah, like, like basically, uh, that was good. Like basically, basically, someone like escorting you, yes, like, es- like just kind of placing their hand upon your back to kind of guide you toward where you're supposed to go, yeah. not really applying yep. pressure, like a tiny, you know, like walking. <laughs> it was perfect. He's just kind of helping you. He's just letting you know where you're going. Yeah. You just come on this way here. <laughs> that is yes. perfect. That is wi- that is by far perfect. I love that analogy. So yeah, and leave it to Bob Costas to to think of of something good like that. So yes. um, he did. So Michael knocked that shot down. It's I have a giant, giant, amazing poster of it where the whole thing's black and white except Michael. He's in color, and so is the ball. And it's um, beautiful, by the way. It's my yeah. I've got stuff to hang it. It's on my someday. Floor. Someday I will <laughs> have someday I will have a poster all black and white and just LeBron in the block. Oh yeah, he'll be he'll be in his Cavs uniform in color, and it'll just be the block. <laughs> By the way, can I tell you this real quick? So we're talking about Michael Jordan, and I just brought up LeBron. One of the things I'm super excited about: my son's birthday is in uh, a week and a half, and for his birthday, he is getting a Lakers hat, a LeBron James jersey T-shirt. You know hey. the, the jersey T-shirt. You know it's. It's got his yeah. name and number on it, and a Lakers sweatshirt. Wow. I cannot wait till he he is as big a LeBron James. We've talked about it on this podcast when I got to play NBA 2K with him. He's as big <laughs> a Lakers. He's as big a LeBron fan as I am, and I love every second of it. Every second. <laughs> That's so I cool. can't wait till he opens this stuff up. Oh. That's going to be awesome. I'm here. By the way, I'm here. I'm here now. As a dad, 
I went through the superhero stage, which I hated because I never read comic books. I, 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 <laughs> I fought through it. I got through it. Yeah. And I'm here. I'm here. Seven years old. <laughs> I got it. Seven years old. And I got oh, it. I got cool. my sports man. Anyway, yeah, I apologize. That was just a, cool. that's a, a quick side piece. Back to it. All right. So the shot. Very so cool. you're disappointed because we didn't get to argue. Not really, because I normally don't like arguing. I feel like you're normally disappointed when we agree on something <laughs> big like that. <laughs> but a little bit, just because I, I thought we would be a little bit further apart on that. And I was like ready to talk about it for a while. Oh. But we're exactly the same, and I'm, I'm more excited about that, honestly. I really am. I'm so, I feel like- I'm so glad to hear you say that everything you said is exactly how I feel about it. I, I feel like perfect. when I make an argument, I'm not trying to be a dumb-dumb. Right, I feel like oh, no, I'm no, trying no, no, no. to be normal. If you try to make that argument, you're just being stupid, and you've never seen the play. <laughs> Chris, I'm telling you, man. I feel like it became a. I remember. Like a, a, I remember. I, I feel like, but I feel like it's still to this day. Before this, I guess, because now they're talking about it again. But for for it's well, it was 1998 for. Uh, 12 years now, or for, uh, what, what year Try again, try again, try again. 22, 22 years. <laughs> 2020, wow. Dude, I know. Uh, for 22 years, I feel like it became an ex- just accepted in all of society that Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan talked about, off. he talked about it in his Hall of Fame speech. He talked about Brian Russell. He talked. He he had before the Hall of Fame speech. He, there was a thing where Brian Russell said he wanted to play Michael Jordan in one on one, like in it, what was that? The year two thousand thirteen or two thousand twelve when he went to the Hall of Fame. Like oh. Brian Russell, was it somewhere in there? I think so. Uh, when would he have retired? Two thousand six, two thousand seven. No, it was like oh four. I want to say. So five years after that, so 2009, either way, Brian Russell like came out and was like talking about, he could still beat Michael Jordan and all this. And Michael's like, let's go, bud. Let's go. Let's play. I'll cross you up every single, like Michael Jordan, just to put Brian Russell in his place would only do that move and win. That's it. He just come every (laughs) single time to the right, cross him over, jump shirt. Cross, right, jumper, cross, <laughs> jumper, cross, jumper, every single time. Mike would Mike would figure out a way to beat him for sure. <laughs> figure out a way. That's not even a game. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Mike would just beat him. He would just flat out beat him. Um, so, okay, so that, that's where the Bulls win their 16th championship. That's where we got to Carl Malone, comes on the bus. Um, and so, because the Bulls have to celebrate in Utah, which, yep. would, which is same as if they would have gotten to celebrate in Chicago. So they get on their bus to go back to the hotel. Um, and that's Malone. another celebration, by the way. Crazy. Yeah. Carl Malone. I can't, I can't imagine having – now, I think they blocked off entire floors for those guys, but I can't imagine having a room where a, t- a team full of people like that just won a championship and come back at like 2 o'clock in the morning and just make <laughs> – all the noise in the world. How about how about having a piano in your room? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a joke. That, when that's the, on, why that will never happen to me because I will never be in a hotel with a room with a piano. In game, in game, uh, in game four, game four, in game four, Michael's laughing about it and he's like, "Yeah, I was playing the piano in my room because I got a piano in my room." 
not in the yeah. not in the foyer in the in my or not in the lobby but in the in my room and i'm like oh that's <laughs> funny okay and then they go afterwards and they show him in his room with the media <laughs> he's playing a damn piano and they say what yeah. about next year michael and he goes man come on guys <laughs> we just won the championship can we not just be in the moment for a minute I was like, yeah. that is the passion. That's the that's the pure fun, Michael. Right? Like he didn't he didn't get to do that very often, except for yeah. the when the season was over after he won, and you get to see that fun, the fun, Michael. And that brings me to kind of the last part is is suit that night they won it. He's answering questions. You saw Scotty Pippen answering questions. You saw uh, uh, Jerry Krause answering. Everybody's being those guys are being asked questions about next year. What's happening next year? Are you coming back? You're coming back, right? All those things. Of course, everybody always asks the, the stars of the teams yep. that, are, that are at the end of their contracts when they win like that. Always the question. So, and that was the big thing. Are you going to, since you won a championship, things obviously are probably going to be different, right? Now you're going to come back, right? So, and, and they all answer the same way, like everybody else does. I'm just in the moment right now. I'm yep. celebrating tonight. Let's talk about this tomorrow or in the, you know in a couple of days or whatever. Um, so then, then move forward to Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, I think Phil said it was the day. I want to say he said it was the day of the celebration in Chicago. Yeah, right. They had that yep. celebration again, um, and they had the celebration. Scotty. So those guys are answering questions like, "Well, no, you know, I'm not going to answer that now." Scotty and Michael both say stuff during that celebration about this last dance. They they both said the last dance. Well, yeah, Michael did. I don't know if Scotty did, but yeah, Scotty definitely said the last dance. And Michael said, you know, basically he was like, you know, we don't know if we're going to be here next year. Uh, You know, no matter what, my heart and my soul are in Chicago and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I I think Phil said it was that day. Jerry Reinsdorf called him. And said, "Remember, this was Jerry Krause's decision to to make it Phil's last year." But Jerry, Jerry Krause Reinsdorf. works for Jerry Reinsdorf. Exactly. Jerry Reinsdorf basically goes over Jerry Krause's head, calls Phil, and says, uh, I, "Let's. I'll give you a chance one more year." Right. At that point, I love that. I'll you give you a chance. You there's no way you can. Nah. There's no way you can come back. Nah, after you that. spent an entire season. You spent an entire season already answering that question. Look, I know it's a, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is it. Yes, and and you're you're told you're being forced out. You're being forced mm-hmm. out by the general manager, and after you just won your second set of three straight championships. That's ridiculous. And he decides he decided two years before that that Phil was done and that this was the time to get rid of it. And he because Phil addressed that during that celebration. He said, thank you. He thanked Jerry Krause. I mm-hmm. think it was it was kind of genuine and kind of like. Sure. Out no, that- it was genuine to a point. It was genuine yeah. because obviously, like even when he said in there talking, he talked about it uh, in the interview, you know, 22 years later. You know, Jerry put these teams together. Like Jerry was a good general manager. He put these. So thank you. And then also, yes. <laughs> dumb ding dong. This is never going to happen again because you're letting us all walk away and you made this decision. So f you. Yeah. I'll make sure everybody gets to boo you one time while we're <laughs> while we're out here in front of these right. hundreds hundreds right. of thousands of people. Yeah. So Jerry Reinsdorf tells the story that he called Phil. 
gave him another shot for one more year to see if they could do another one. And Phil declined. He said, he said no. And he said, he actually said it really wouldn't be fair to Jerry. Like that, that, the, the, the divide between Phil and Jerry Krause would have been the same or worse. And now there would be a major divide between Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf yep. at that next year if that happened, if Phil did come back. So, and uh, who knows if Jerry Krause even would have stayed. Um, if, if he, if my boss went over my head and, gave this guy a, a, a job that I said he didn't have, yeah. you know, that would, that would make me mad. So um, whether it was the right decision or not. So anyway, Jerry Reinsdorf says that. Uh, and then we saw then go to Michael and they're talking to Michael about it. And, and Michael's talks about, um, so, you know, Scotty of course was looking for, because he, he signed that awful contract seven years before, or eight years before, or whatever it was. And, he was on the last year of that terrible contract where he was making like $2 million a year as the second best player in the NBA. And he, uh, so he was ready to get that payday. Sure. Steve Kerr was going to make more money. Tony Kuka, or, just for being uh, that, on that, that team. That's, yes. that, that's and Kraus said it just for being on this team. A lot of these guys were going to be making more money. Yeah. And, and Jerry Kraus said it. And Jerry Reinsdorf said it too, that, their market value was going to be, they were going to get paid more than they were worth after right. that. And he probably wasn't wrong about that. Not even um, a little bit. But but that was the market for them then. Like they contributed to a championship team. They need those, you know, uh, uh, veteran players with that championship pedigree on yep. other teams. So they were going to get big paydays. They weren't going to be able to pay them with the, with the payroll that they had. Um, and... They so that's why they decided they were going to have to make those moves, and that's why that was the last the last dance, right? So Jerry Reinsdorf explains that he they they give that they give Michael the tablet to listen to him explain all that. Michael goes into his explanation like, "Look, yeah, it would have taken a lot of convincing for Scotty, but if I if I decided to come back, if Phil decided to come back, if we had Kerr Dennis. and Bodman." Yeah, and, and those guys, if we had the nucleus coming back, Scotty would have been there. The championship, we could have gotten Scotty, um, and then they all would have agreed to sign one-year deals. Now, I don't know that that that's completely the truth. Michael believes that. Michael said that he had been playing. He had been playing on a one-year deal for the last few years. So for him, for yeah, Michael. Well, yes. let's uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. For for those other guys. He might have convinced them, but they also might have been like, you know what? This is my know. opportunity. Kind of, this is my opportunity yeah, to make opportunity. Yeah. There's kind of a especially weird for a Steve Kerr. Yeah, um, and uh, and definitely especially for Scotty because he was way underpaid. Yeah, but I feel like so, Scotty still could have made more money than he was making for a year. Yeah, but they would. They according to Jerry Reinsdorf, they wouldn't have been able to pay him what he. What he should have gotten, plus pay Jordan, right? Plus pay anybody else, right. basically, right? Um, and and bring Phil back because Phil, that was the big thing. You know, Phil wanted to get paid like the best coach in the league, and he wasn't being paid like the best coach in the league, and that's why Jerry Krause decided he was done with him too, right? So, anyway, um, Michael said he thinks they could have worked it out and they should have gotten a chance to. Jerry Reinsdorf explains why it was the time. And it didn't matter anyway because Phil said no. Right. And and Mike said the whole time, if Phil wasn't back, I'm not back. And that's exactly what happened. Phil said no thanks. 
Michael retired. They traded. They did a sign and trade with Scotty and with Steve Kerr. They they released Dennis Rodman, who only ended up playing like twenty three more games in the league. After Isn't that, that year. crazy? That just that just it, that's how that's how nuts Dennis Rodman went at that moment in his life. He went yeah. from uh, uh, one of the best players on a three peat championship team to playing a quarter of a season. Yeah. So. Um, that's really that that was it. I mean, that was the end of it. So, I guess the only thing left to do is do you have any final thoughts on as an entire docu series your final thoughts? I, I totally I totally believe that the Michael Jordan docu series just kidding. I got you. Just kidding. I got you. The, the <laughs> no, the last dance and they did they did a re- I th- I thought it was a phenom- I thought they did a phenomenal job. I thought it was. I thought the the stories were good. You learned a little bit. You knew you knew ninety percent of it, but you learned a little bit. You got some some intricacies. Uh, there's been so many interviews since that have been. You could sit on YouTube for t- five hours watching interviews. Scott Burrell and uh, just just about anybody that's on this. The 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 director and everybody else. But um, it's it, a lot came out of it. It's it's phenomenal. It's great. I can't wait till LeBron gets his. <laughs> well, LeBron and the three Pete Lakers. Who's next? Who is next? Who's next to do this? That's the thing. Is it is it the is it the Laker the Laker Shack deal and then moved into the win with Kobe winning on his own? Is that the next series that comes out like this? Because they could do one on it. And they could do one similar, but I think it would have to be more probably Kobe focused. I think they could do one. That would be the issue. The issue is the issue is Kobe's no longer with us. This was, this was a last dance, Michael Jordan, Chicago bulls, 93. It was not, not as much about the last dance. It was about the last dance, but it, it had so much more than that. It was, it was the entire, six championships of the bulls right yep. so they could do it on the lakers and you could 100 percent make that happen but the focus of this whole last dance was michael jordan we don't have kobe to do that and that that sucks because we to have, have that with kobe being the main part of it and the main interviewer that would be fun you're right we don't have kobe for that but and and they didn't they there wasn't a as far as I know there wasn't a, a documentary team following. No, but but the way things were so different at that point in time, the cam there was so many more cameras just around it. Yeah, all times the NBA cool. had their own station at that point in time, so they had cameras everywhere. There's the 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 footage is there. The footage is there, and the the interviews with Kobe are way more available. I feel like than were with Michael. It took a it's a big deal to get yeah. Michael to sit down. You're right. An interview with You're right. There. You're right. You're right. So you and, could probably and, and, go back and piece some things together with with Kobe. Certainly, and all the way up to the last. So these interviews were done two years ago, two or three years right. ago. The interviews for this documentary were done. Oh yeah, long. it's uh, why do you think? Hey, why do you think Michael Jordan did this? Why do you think Michael Jordan agreed to this? I know what you're getting at. Everybody says it was after LeBron won the championship in Cleveland that Just he saying. decided to. Just saying. Sure. It, yeah. It, it, I'll, I'll go along with all the conspiracy theorists too. Sure. Um, and also, <laughs> also, uh, 
those guys that killed uh, Michael's dad were uh, oh come on uh, I'm Michael Michael owed yeah, those guys Michael money. Owed money or their dad his and, dad uh, owed him money hey what is, what was your David, biggest take David on this Stern suspended him for gambling because <laughs> uh, he was betting on Bulls games I'm sure anyway what was your biggest uh, takeaway from this first thing is we we playfully argued about the what it really was about the Michael Jordan documentary, the yeah. 97, 98 Bulls documentary, it was neither and both of those. Sure. I, by the end of this thing, I really felt much more strongly about this was a documentary about the Bulls dynasty, yeah. the 90s Bulls, the whole dynasty, because they covered everything. And, um, and they covered enough of other stuff to make me feel that way. That's why I don't think it was – they could have made it a Michael Jordan documentary and it would have been a little bit different. Um most of it was with Michael because obviously for the reasons we already talked about, but this was a documentary about the whole thing. And I love that about it. That's my fit. I'm so, I'm so much more glad that they covered all those other stories along the way, instead of just a documentary about that one season, I'm so much more happy that it did, that it was that way. Now you can talk about, you know, I still have, even though I understand it better at the end of it now, flipping back and forth and kind of jumping around all over the place. And, and Jason Hare has, you know, said he's gotten a lot of criticism for that and for plenty of other things. There are people that are criticizing the heck out of, of course, because that's what people do. It yeah, was awesome. Certainly. It was awesome. That's, that's bottom line. It was awesome. It was, it made my, my weekends, especially building up to, okay, as people ask me, what are you doing? tomorrow or what are you doing this weekend well not much but sunday night i have plans you know what i mean (laughs) like sunday night was it and it was i couldn't i couldn't record it and wait i recorded them but i couldn't wait to like i watched them live and recorded them and in this case for these two i went back and rewatched them again and i have them all now so i can go back and maybe i'll just uh Maybe I'll take tomorrow off of work and just watch all 10 episodes. That's what I want to do. I just want to watch them all together. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I they, those guys, and I, I'm glad you said what you said about there are so many more interviews that uh, have come out of this from everybody being on radio shows and TV shows, all these former uh, former players and people that were involved with the Bulls at that time. <laughs> Um, and, and those have been awesome. And the, all the interviews with the director, um, and he's talked so much about all the, the editors and everybody that was involved in the stuff that they, because they were still, they were putting episode 10 together less than two weeks ago. They were finishing yeah. episode 10 less than yeah. two weeks ago. There was an interview with Jordan's kids and, and they were saying, they said, you know, we got, uh, we got to watch, uh, a couple of them decided to, one of them didn't want to, but he said, uh, we want. We got to watch uh, seven and eight, and I was like, "Dude, I need, I need nine and ten. You need to give me nine and ten. And he was like, "You can't watch it. You have to watch it live because we're still, we're not done with it yet." Yeah, yeah, and we talked about that to begin this thing when people started talking about, man, this documentary coming out in June. What if, since everybody's stuck in their house, what if they released it early? And that, and that was. Uh, that and that happened, and they they made it they made it happen because are we done? Did it show? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that's why, like they they obliged and they finished it early, 
and they like sprinted through uh, finishing editing and doing all the fine the scores and all the um, you know I'm not gonna act like I know about filmmaking, but he talked. Jason Hertz has talked about that all the stuff they had to finish, um, and they did it and they did it and they released it early and I'm so so happy. I feel spoiled uh, for having this period and especially for having it early. And it was just awesome because it was my, it was my childhood. It was the biggest thing I, I loved growing up was Michael was the first professional athlete. I feel like that was like my favorite athlete. Um, and it was the bulls and it was the first team that I was a fan of outside of my hometown. Um, and it was the biggest thing in the world at the time. And I think my, I think Matt Vale, I think Matt Vale was the one that, <laughs> that uh, first turned me on to Michael Jordan. And I was probably six or seven or something like that. And, um, it was that, you know, the late eighties, I guess would have been the end of the eighties when he was already a superstar for a few years. Um, and I found out about him and started you know, living my life all about Michael Jordan. All about Mike. So uh, anyway, just a very, very cool thing. And we talked uh, on the phone earlier today, and and, uh, I'm I'm glad the people that were responsible for putting this together, especially the director, did it because he's talked several times. He looks like he's probably around our age somewhere because he talked about how he was at that age too growing up watching Michael and was fascinated and obsessed with it. And, uh, and so this was like, he was pinching himself constantly through this thing. Like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting down with my hero from my childhood, yeah. you know? And, uh, so I, I feel like I connected there. Like, you know, I, I can see if I got an opportunity like that, that's exactly how I would have felt, you know? So anyway, uh, just, we're, we're really lucky, uh, to have that. I'm very glad about it. And, uh, it was fun. I don't know. That, it was fun. It was fun. And so I don't know. I and, to do on Sunday nights. Yeah, well, the, the tomorrow or next week, this week you got uh, Lance, Lance Armstrong, and then after that is, oh, there was two back to back they got coming out that aren't bad. They're not bad. They're pretty good. Uh, the Lance, home run one, right? Oh, that's right. It was the Mike, the McGuire Sosa in McGuire, and and just so you guys know, in two weeks when that comes on. There's a point in there where Mark McGuire says, I didn't even know who Sammy Sosa was until he started hitting all those home runs that <laughs> yeah. year. And it looked like they were the best friends in the world. <laughs> Sammy Sosa yeah. looks like a vampire. Yes. So, uh, oh, modern-day Sammy Sosa is almost freakier than modern-day Dennis Rodman. Right. Oh, oh, without a doubt, more freaky in, in a different way. Yes, but he became a he became a vampire for some reason, and I don't understand why. Uh, you know, to, that's what steroids do to you, I guess. <laughs> Turn you into a vampire. Just one of the few side effects depends on your underlying conditions. <laughs> All right. So All right. on that note, until next. Oh, we got to come up real quick. Uh, oh no, yes. we already said Jerry Seinfeld, right? is the comedy for next week. So watch the Jerry Seinfeld's newest special on Netflix. Uh, just came out a few weeks ago. And then we 23 hours to kill or 23 like hours to kill. And then we've got uh, next week. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Maybe, maybe we reach out and do some baseball. Uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea what we're going to do next week, but tune in cause it will be fun. I promise you. Uh, and, and this is the thing that's going to happen next week. 
probably not going to be in the two hour to 220, 220, 230 like we've been no, doing. Is. Well, we're at 225 <laughs> now, but next next week's probably not going to be there because this Michael Jordan Last Dance Bulls documentary is a once in a lifetime thing. So we got it out of us. So we appreciate yeah. you guys over the last uh, five weeks hanging out with us and 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 really listening and and sticking around for the whole for the whole podcast um so next week will be to our regular hopefully hour hour and a half even if it goes two hours maybe this is the new thing but it i i got a feeling there's not a lot going on but we'll find some things to talk about it'll be fun we've got some comedy and uh until then don't forget to turn your headlights on <laughs>